there and welcome to another episode of The Bible. Wait, what? Yes, this is the podcast that unravels the mysteries of the Bible's most perplexing, puzzling and thought-provoking passages. My name is Rowan and each session I'm joined by a member of our team at C3 Church, Camden, Picton and Thoreau, as they quiz me on some of the more complicated, confusing, challenging and even confronting passages that we read in our weekly Bible reading plan. understand that reading the Bible can be a challenging and perplexing experience. Many people just don't know where to start, they get confused, and so they give up. Well, that's why this podcast exists, to equip you with the tools and the knowledge to explore the richness and depth of the Bible for yourself. So grab your Bible, take a deep breath, and join us as we explore this week's passages. learn more about us or to get in touch with us at C3 Church Camden, Picton and Thoreau, visit any of our three locations websites. That's c3camden.church, c3picton.church and c3thoreau.church. Or you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube just by searching for any of our locations names. So without any further delay, let's dive into today's conversation. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome back to The Bible. Wait, what? Hey, my name's Rowan, and I'm sitting down with Phil Weirden today. Long-time friend. We've been friends for 20-plus years, haven't we, for more than 20 years? Yeah, 20, probably a good 22 years. 22 years we've been friends, and our families have grown up together, and and uh, Phil is a bit of a Bible nerd. Actually, that's that's an underestimate. You're, you're more than a bit of a Bible nerd, Phil. You, I you, do like bubble history. You no, sure do. probably... Probably more of bubble history, yeah, um, and the history of the Old Testament and yeah. how it all fits together. Yeah, and for those that uh, those that are interested in coming on uh, our trip to Israel that we're doing hopefully next year uh, in May of 2024, Phil is the man who coordinates all of that. Yeah. He is the man who books everything. He, he, in fact, he could do a better job of taking it to Israel. One day I won't be able to go and he'll go in my place because I'll be too busy. But he knows his stuff. He knows his Bible history. He's been to Israel and uh, broke his ankle in Israel. Yep. Not everybody <laughs> can do that one. Um, don't recommend it. No. Um, but it was. it's an awesome experience to be in Israel and the West Bank and to see the history and the culture and um, just the presence of God that gets yeah, in certain yeah. places, you just walk in there, you just know that there's lots of prayer and lots of, um, yeah, tears have been wept over those areas. Yeah. Or in Phil's case, he walks in with crutches. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> it was towards the end of the trip that he rolled his ankle up in the Golan Heights, but yeah. um, we thought it was just a rolled ankle until you got back to Australia and realised yeah. it was broken, didn't yeah. you? Yeah, walked on it for two weeks. With a, um, yeah, hobbled yeah. around on it. Yeah, so um, but that's, don't let that discourage you from coming. If you want to know more about coming to Israel, uh, it's a great experience and a great way mm. to to let the Bible come to life for you. And so um, I'm sitting down with Phil and, and we're going to unpack some uh, passages. Uh, continuing on from last week's conversation with with Jimmy, our theme at C3 Camden, Picton and Thoreau for the month of September is mission. And uh, it's a little bit different to some of the other things that we've done on the podcast so far. Uh, on all our other weeks, it probably for those of you who are not part of our church, it doesn't really matter. I know there's numbers of people listening who are just 
and feeding back to me that they're enjoying and listening to the podcast. But for those in our church, normally what we've been doing is we've been kind of tracking certain themes each week and those themes then um, kind of roll over into the Sunday. We're talking about, uh, you know, the nature of sin or what is atonement and all these different things. It's a little bit different during the month of September. We are going to be talking about mission in general. And in our in our locations, we'll have a variety of different missions work that we partner with and are involved in that we'll showcase at different weeks at different locations. So the podcasts and the, and the teaching material, the actual uh, themes are a little bit disconnected. Then there's not any one size fits all theme. And so when I was putting this schedule together at the beginning of the year, I, I felt a way to do that would be, or well, the end of last year it was, I thought um, it would be a good opportunity to tackle uh, a couple of large passages of Scripture. So if you listen last week, uh, Jimmy and I tacked on, uh, t- tackled the, the first um, five chapters or so of David's life when King David appears on the scene before he's king. And uh, we also uh, attached, attached, attacked, that's the word, attacked, handled, discussed some of uh, the book of Acts as well. And we've done little snippets here and there, um, but during the course of September, we're going to take a pretty big deep dive into numbers of chapters, not all of them, but numbers of chapters in the book of Acts, which we did last week. And so today is really just a a continuation of that. And the intention of studying the book of Acts is obviously we get a firsthand, uh, first front row seat into what the early church's mission was about. Yeah. 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 Um, And then by tackling and looking at the life of David, we see, I I was thinking along the lines of uh, while we're doing certainly character studies and and the King, King David and Saul is great for character studies, it's narrative, it's historical narrative. You can learn a lot. History stuff would you'd learn a lot out of this part of the this part of the scriptures as well with your history uh, bent, Phil. But it also is the establishment of a kingdom, God's theocracy on earth. He's, so you could argue David's mission was to extend the kingdom of God, and so there's a mission component there as well. So that's what kind of where we're going. We're focusing on mission. And so we're going to jump into uh, 1 Samuel 21 to start with. So here we go. Okay, let's get into um, the Old Testament and how how much history is in the Old Testament that you can find um, so we don't have to stay in the New Testament. Yeah, that's right. It's helpful to be in the old, to know the old, to understand the new, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I can always remember um, one person sort of saying the Old Testament is like a one-way street to Jesus. Yeah. And you've got to know the Old Testament to know where you're going with it. Yeah, we, we actually discussed yeah. the same thing with Jimmy in the previous podcast, looking at how much, even like Acts 7, where Stephen just basically unpacks the entire Old Testament and we were saying... If you don't know where to start, go to Acts 7 and have a discussion yeah. around that because that is a history of the, it's the Old Testament in a nutshell That's, right yeah. there, isn't it? So, um, and you get, while you can understand salvation, um, the basics of the gospel w- without that, the, Jesus is a Jew, the, the New Testament was birthed out of Judaism to understand yeah. Jewish history just it's, makes it so much yeah. more alive. Yeah. And you've got to understand the culture and the, um, the era that it was um, yeah, where they lived and all that. That's so right. When you go to um, go to Israel, you got to know the history so mm. that you can get the full experience. Of yeah, it. that's so, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's where we're going to go. One Samuel twenty-one. <clears throat> yeah. So I must. I just when I was reading it and going through, I just had to go back to like one Samuel twenty at the end of it to get it into perspective. And um, it's like yeah, it's like you always got to put it into context. Put it into context. Yep. 
I just loved it. Like, I just recognised that this was a new season for David because he was leaving the courts of Saul. Ah, yes. He was running away. Yeah. Um, it's a significant transition. Yeah. 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 Um, cause in the Because there'd been some toing and froing back and forward, but this is it. Like there's a line in the sand now and he's not going back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so David has finally w- worked out that, yeah, Saul's out to kill him yep. and Jonathan has also worked out that, yeah, yep. um, his dad is going to try yep. and kill him. And um, they, at the end of that, um, chapter 20, it um, says they were, um, yeah, both of them were in tears as they embraced, it, embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. And um, Jonathan said to David, let go in peace for the... For we have made a pact in the Lord's name. We've entrusted each other and each other's children into the Lord's hands mm. forever. Then David left and Jonathan returned to the city. Yeah. And it was like, well, that would have been such a uh, emotional a, An time. emotional moment for both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Not knowing maybe they'll never see each other again. There's, yeah. You know, they hope that they, they would, but yeah, yeah certainly mm. a lot of uncertainty there. Mm. Mm. So when, um, when I was reading this, it's, it's where um, David runs um, to the city of Nob. And, City of Nob, yep. Yeah, and I sort of, yeah, put into today's context and it's like, oh, probably probably the early 80s where you'd call each other a knob. A knob, so. <laughs> that's right. Yep. Um, it's not the City of Nob, it's the City, City of Nob. Nob. Um, and it goes to see this Elimelech, the priest, and I was like, why was he, yeah, why was he running there? Mm-hmm. And um, he asked the priest, hey, give me some food. Yeah. And... Um, Emelik says, we don't have any regular bread. We've just got the showbread mm-hmm. that was on the altar. And so I was wondering. Inside the holy place. Yeah. yeah this was the uh, 12 loaves of bread that were yeah. in there inside. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. Um, yeah. Do you want to explain what the showbread was uh, and yeah, why, just briefly, why was it special? Yeah. So we're just briefly, we, we've, um, I know we talked about this earlier in the year when we were talking about the, t- the Exodus and the tabernacle in depth, but uh, the showbread was, was this, um, it was a stand that had, loaves of bread on it um, that was on the right when you walked into the sanctuary. On the left was the the menorah and on the right was the showbread, 12 loaves of bread. And they would swap it out every, it was unleavened bread, and they would swap it out every uh, every week on the yep. Sabbath. Is that right? Yep. I think that's right. Yep. Every week. Paul know, Phil knows his stuff on this better than I do. <laughs> every Sabbath. And um, and it represented, it was supposed to represent Jesus as the, well, it ultimately comes to represent Jesus as the bread of life, but it was a reminder that, that Christ is, that the, the God is there. That the, the God Yahweh is their provider and yeah. and the source of their life and food, and uh, so it was only supposed to be eaten by the priests. So they would put it in there, and then after the Sabbath, they would take it out, put fresh stuff in, and then they would eat it. I think is that correct? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, so uh, in this case, Ahimelech says, "Well, you can have that bread, provided you haven't men haven't been sleeping with anyone." <laughs> it's yeah. Just a little analogy he puts in there. And uh, yeah, so that's that's the context for it. Suffice it to say that David was not a Levite; he was not a priest. So, according to the law, this is where you're going. According yeah. to the law, he shouldn't have eaten that. Yes, that's why I was asking. Yeah, like, why did why was he given the food? Yeah. Um, so uh, he actually broke the letter of the Mosaic law, the letter of the law, didn't he? He did. And I can see Phil jumping to the New uh, Testament. I think you're trying to find yeah. something Jesus said, eh? I asked that question in my like when I was reading it and was it Matthew 12. There we go. I know, he's go, I know what he's going to say. This is a famous little verse, Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Um, yes, it was, um, yeah, because... Um, 
the who were they? The Pharisees saying, um, yeah, "Shouldn't your disciples be um, collecting, um, harvesting grain on the Sabbath?" Um, because they were yeah, hungry. They were just so basically walking along and picking eating, heads yeah. of grain, yeah. And so they were eating on the Sabbath, and Jesus replied to him, haven't you ever read in the Scriptures what King David did when he and his companions were hungry? Um, even though King David didn't have his companions with him, I don't know. Well, he didn't, but he, drink, he, he, did. he was going to meet up with them, yeah. yeah. Um, but he went into the house of God and there ate the special bread reserved for the priests alone. That was breaking the law too. And haven't you ever read in the law of Moses that priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath? I tell you that there is one here who is even greater than the temple, but you would not have condemned those who aren't guilty if you knew the meaning of this scripture. I want you to want you to be merciful. I don't want your sacrifices, for I, the Son of Man, am master even of the Sabbath. Oh, great. What do you think that's saying, Phil? <clears throat> what do you think the point behind that is? Um, that being religious to the law, um, that it's sort of, that's not grace, that's not love, that's um, yeah, legalistic and God's bigger than that. Yeah, um, absolutely. And yeah. The, it's the miss. Jesus says elsewhere about the Pharisees, they strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Like they're worried that they might get the slightest little unclean bug in their food so they get a strainer and they make sure <clears> they pour all their food through that. Well, meanwhile, they're eating camels that they don't even realise and that's the point is that they're focusing on the ritualistic, oh, how, how dare the disciples go and you know, grab a, a, a bit of grain because that seems like harvesting and they've missed the point. The spirit behind mm. the law was love yeah. and kindness. And in this case, Ahimelech is showing kindness to David. Yeah. He's, he's, he's appealing to a higher law than the law of Moses. Mm. He's saying the law of love supersedes everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that was sort of interesting. It was like, yeah, I was when I was reading that, it was, yeah. Yeah. Um, just, yeah. Because it also makes that reference back to Jesus. Like if you do the cross-reference, yes. it does link you into that verse. Yes, um, that's right. Yeah, No, it's a really good one. So, so it's a, that's a good little point. Well done. Yeah. Um, and then, then then it says in verse 7, it says, Then Doeg the Edomite. Doeg the bad egg, I call yeah. him. <laughs> the bad egg, yeah. <laughs> yeah he's a bad Saul's egg. Saul's chief herdsman was there for, for that day for ceremonial purification. So I wanted to ask, what's an Edomite? Uh, okay. Uh, an Edomite is uh, the closest relatives that uh, Israel had at the time. So Edomites were the descendants of Esau. Mm. Esau was Jacob's brother. So these guys uh, were biologically, even in scriptures, oftentimes they referred to as Edom, your brother. These guys lived on the, what is modern day Jordan? They lived on the, the let's get my directions right, the east side yeah. of the Jordan River, directly across um, from from Israel. Um, and yeah, they were uh, a neighboring nation that generally were at more, more times, nine times out of 10, there was fairly substantial sibling rivalry, wasn't mm. there, between the two. Yeah. Um, but this case, obviously, Doeg has switched sides. He, he was an Edomite, but he's... And that's probably worth mentioning too, and Phil knows this, he's a, he's, a, he's a history nerd, but a lot of people don't realize that. We sort of think that there was no interbreeding, there was nothing going on, or that all interbreeding was wrong. But just at a geographical level, all these countries, the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Edomites, and they're all very close together. And there was a lot of interbreeding. Now, it wasn't always all bad either. There were times that were told to be careful of that because they could be led astray. But Ruth was a Moabite, you know, so there, there were, there, we're talking about a few days journey and you meet, meet all these countries, don't you? It's, yeah. it's more like, uh, you have to be thinking about the whole, the whole area. It's probably not much bigger than the Sydney metropolitan basin. So you can travel around 
you know, you can travel yeah. around all over the place, can't you? So, so um, yeah. And so there's trade routes. And there's trade around, routes all around that area. Yeah. That's cor- that's yeah. correct. Yeah. So I think um, I think this guy, the fact that he is the chief herdsman means he's he's a man of some influence, and, and he's he was, not a Jew. And he's, he's also, not an Israelite. And uh, NLT says that he was there for ceremonial purification. So which is he's certainly practicing as a Jew, isn't he? Yeah. As a Hebrew. Yeah. Because yeah. originally I was thinking, what's a Edomite doing in Saul's employment? Right. Um, well, Uriah was a what? Oh, he's a Hittite. He's a Hittite. The yeah. Hittites further away. Hittite, yeah. The Hittites were from Turkey, so they're further north. Yeah. But Uriah's a Hittite, so these it's not that uncommon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's another guy who, in the time of Isaiah and Hezekiah, who was an Egyptian. They were, mm. that, that was quite common too. So, yeah. yeah, it's not quite as isolated as perhaps first reading of a scripture leads you to believe there was a lot of um of relation and not just even marriage relationships there were there were just people who would come and switch switch allegiances yeah. there was a time when babylon came and attacked israel um the book of jeremiah and there was a whole bunch of there was a whole bunch of israel of jews who'd switched over to the babylonian side and then they switched back again so there's a lot of this kind of stuff which makes sense that's that's just yeah. world history in general isn't it and and was it syrians who um their ploy was to um Spread, they uh, basically spread, spread basically conquer land yeah. and then spread everybody all over the place. Yes, so their their impression, their their um, the term they would use is assimilation. Yeah. So for those Star Trek fans who understand the Borg, that's what they, that's what the Assyrian philosophy was: assimilate by um, basically ethnic cleansing, by basically interbreeding. It's it's not that dissimilar to some of the the uh, you know white Australia policy. That's that's how the Assyrians thought that they would do this by just making everyone interbred. So they'd lose their national identity. Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah, that was sort of interesting. It was like, yeah. Um, another question, because at that point he picked up David's sword. Um, Elimelech um, had... Ahimelech, yeah. Um, had David's sword. Elimelech oh, sorry, is... Goliath's sword. Goliath's sword. Because Elimelech is... Is the, the priest. Is, no. Uh, Ahimelech. Elimelech. Ahimelech. Ahimelech. Uh, <laughs> Elimelech is Ruth's... Uh, father-in-law, I think. Uh, yes. Ahimelech. Ahimelech. Yeah, so he picked up Goliath's sword. Yep. Yeah. So it was like, I was like, um, uh, the question I had in my mind, which I didn't couldn't find the answer was, well, I was thinking Goliath is this huge dude. Yeah. And his spear was huge. We talked about the spear was the weight of a bowling ball. That's how we worked out in the last episode. Um, So I was then questioning is like his sword, is that sword going to be really huge? (laughs) Imagine Um, this priest walking around (laughs) with this massive sword. It doesn't tell me how big the sword is. doesn't tell you how big the sword is. I'm sure it was, unless it was a short sword, but even then it would have been a big sword. I mean, if you've got a spear, there's a weight of a bowling ball. I actually um, visited uh, the tower of where uh, where, – uh, what's Mel Gibson's character in in uh, William William Wallace, the William Wallace Tower in Scotland, and uh, I saw we, William Wallace's sword is on display there. Yeah. This thing is nearly as tall as me. Oh wow! I know I'm short compared to you, but this is a big sword. Like it was up to my chin. I'm yeah. thinking, how the heck did they yeah. wield this? So that's what a long sword yeah. was. It was literally it was three quarters of the height at least yeah. of a person. So no wonder you fell out or that you, you got knocked over when you got hit by a sword. Oh, no wonder you got knocked over. I mean, yeah. the, the, just the sheer momentum yeah. to get the thing swinging. But if you were strong enough to do that, yeah, incredible force uh, in that. Um, I'm just seeing being a uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger bodybuilder, you'd be um, 
muscles on one side will be bigger than the other. The other. <laughs> you'd, have to, you'd have to be able to swing both ways, wouldn't you? So, yeah, yeah. these weapons were big. So, yeah. you could just see this lob priest <laughs> walking out. Here's your sword, Dave. <laughs> Whoops. Um, whoops. Oh, whoa. <laughs> uh, uh, whoops. Did that just my ear just fall off? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sliced himself <laughs> with it. Um, so, that was that was sort of interesting. That he's like, well, uh, Halimelech didn't realise this was what David was running away. No. And, thought, and David sort of... And David didn't let him. on. He no. kind of lied to him, didn't he? He, did, he lied yeah, to him. Yeah, he did lie. Well, he didn't kind of lie to him. He did. The, he said, the king sent me here on an urgent mission. Yeah. Well, that wasn't true. He's fleeing from the king. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, so I was like, hmm. Yeah, it's a bit of, I don't know, weaving. And yeah. Sneaky, which but. leaves some philosophical questions, which philosophers and theologians have argued about for a long time. Like, yeah. was it right for David to lie? You know, mm. at what point is it okay to lie? You know, yeah. is this one of those situations where, um, you know, the greater truth allows for lying or is it never okay to lie? You know, the thing is people who wear wires for police, they lie. You could say, well, people yeah. go undercover, they're lying. But I think none of us have a problem with that because we understand that there's a greater justice and truth yeah. at work. And I think that's how I, I read this story is that um, he wasn't just lying to save himself. You could argue he's not trying to lie to save himself, but I think he's trying to um, save the kingdom really. Yeah. 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 So. So is it wrong to lie about Santa Claus? Is it wrong to lie about Santa Claus? <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of – I don't think yeah. it's as cut and dried Dry, as that. And white, yeah. I think it's often the motive behind what's being said that, that needs to come into a, come into the mix. And, yeah. you know, I, I could read that both ways, this story, and say this was David saving his backside or not. No. But, I mean, the, the guy's – he's fleeing for his life. I, I, to be honest, I can understand the temptation to – um, you know, where am I going to go? First place I'm going to go is the priests yeah. and uh, they'll look after me and they'll get me, I know the sword's there and I need a weapon and, and I, uh, they'll look after me, they'll get me fed. So yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. Well, I must say, in a couple of chapters time, it says that he does seek, seek the Lord. Seek the Lord. Um, yeah. For direction. Yeah, and exactly. So, yeah, that's where his heart was. Yeah. I'm um, sitting in the fields. Yeah. I'm um, looking after the sheep, penning yep. Psalm 22. Mm. Um, yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Psalm 22, 23. Psalm 23, you're talking 23. about. Yep, Psalm yeah. 23. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So he, he, he runs off, but I must. I love how the Bible is, um, yeah, it's it throws in little funny bits. I find funny bits because at the end of the verse, chapter, it says David escapes, um, goes down to King Ashish of Gath. Yep. And the um, the people, officers there weren't happy and so... Um, David realizes that he's going to get killed yeah. or something's going to go wrong for <laughs> so him. So what's he do? <laughs> so he pretends to be insane, uh, scratching on doors, drooling down his beard, uh, totally mad. The so irony the, is he comes back later to uh, and he behaves himself, but uh, um, yeah, he starts to act like, like a madman. Yeah. I don't know how they thought it was going to save him. I mean, in today's culture, you'd think that that'd be more, you know, lock you up more yeah. so. But yeah. yeah. Well, here this was where King Ash uh, says, "Must you bring me a madman? <laughs> Haven't I got enough of those? <laughs> got enough of those." <laughs> so, um, uh, I love the Bible. Yeah. yeah. So Do I need? Any, it's not like I need any more crazy people <laughs> around here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he gets away, yeah. and he then goes. Does he go to Moab? Finally, um, no, uh, no. He still stays in the. Sta he stays, stays in the land at the moment. Okay. Um, yeah. He goes to Moab eventually, but yeah. not at this point. Uh, yeah. Oh, in the, it's in the next chapter. In the next chapter, is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I don't have anything else. All right, uh, let's have a quick look. Anything else? No, I don't think there's anything else um, in that story. He's taking the sword with him. Just mark the Doeg story because he'll come back into it. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think yeah. Well, as we said, yes, he 
he kind of led David. And we're going to see this too. I think he knows, he realizes in hindsight that he didn't really do the right thing by the priest. Because this is the town, this knob is the town where the priests live. Just bear that in mind as we continue the story. And what we're going to do, as I said to um, Jimmy last week in last week's episode as well, this is a lot of narrative. And if we tried to unpack everything in all these narratives, we'd be here till Jesus comes back. So, But at the same time, we understand that if you're listening to this while you're driving and you haven't got your Bible in front of you, um, it kind of does the narrative does build chapter upon chapter. And it so does. so what we'll try to do is while we're not going to read the whole thing, we'll try it just to summarize before we move on to the next chapter, basics so you can at least track with it. But if you really want to, you can, you know, switch on the Bible U version app or something and you can go through all of one Samuel and probably most of two Samuel start at 16. You probably do that in an hour and a half or something. So, uh, you know, just it is good to read this kind of stuff in in sequence. Because it kind of is, it's just like any other narrative. You don't want to walk into a movie halfway through. You don't really know what's happening. True, true. Yeah. It's just like a big All right. Book. Well, let's, uh, let's go to chapter, where are we going? 20, 22. 22. Okay, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22. Um, so glad that you're still with us. Yeah, you got through one <laughs> chapter, folks. <laughs> Just a couple of more to go. So David escapes from uh, Nob um, mm-hmm. to um, to a cave in Abdullah. Feels laughing yeah. as he says yeah. that. Uh, just like a little boy. <laughs> uh, and this is what I find fascinating. It says that soon his brothers and other relatives joined him there. Then others began coming, men who were in trouble or in debt or who were discontented until David was the leader of about 400 men. My question is, um, throughout this part, why can everybody find David but Saul can't? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Oh, that's funny, Phil. It is. It's like, yeah, Saul can't find him. So what do you think's going on? Well, it's definitely the hand of God on this one. Uh, I reckon word's gotten out there too. I mean, this is like a Sherwood Forest, you know, situation. This is Robert and his merry men in the middle yeah. of the forest. I think word gets out there and uh, it's an, un, you know, underground conversations going on. You know, you, you've got a problem with Saul, yeah. come join us. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. cloak and dagger kind of yeah. stuff. A little bit of rebellion. A little bit of rebellion. Well, I mean, these aren't the top, fo- the, the category, you know, if you try to put together a, an army, the, I wouldn't be going. Let's let's select the those in debt, those who are discontented, those who are trouble, who are in trouble with the law. This is not your your prime time uh, job list, is it? Job, no. job wanted, David's mighty men. <laughs> that's so, yeah. No, um, it's that was like yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, um, it's a bunch of rubble, and he turns yeah. into a mighty army, which, which is once again shows the. Well, I think Paul will pick up on this in in Corinthians somewhere, and he'll say. God, it wasn't to the wise and the full, the wise and the powerful of the world that the gospel. The gospel, he says, it came to the to the weak and the lowly, yeah. and 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 to those who were. Basically, he's he's hearkening back to this passage, and he's saying that's what some of you were. Um, God, you know, God uses ordinary people to do His work. He mm. doesn't necessarily just use the ones that you would expect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. We're, none of us are, even those who, even those that are in trouble with the law, <laughs> even those that are discontented. God can still use us. Yes. Uh, not that I'm in trouble with the law that I'm aware of and not that I'm discontented. <laughs> <laughs> but are you in debt? Am I in debt? Yes, I still, have a, I still have a mortgage. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> well, we're in debt to Christ. In debt to Christ, always. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, get that one. So now, now he, he leaves that cave and takes his men to um, Moab 
And I like this one because this is in verse 3. He says, he goes to the king of Moab and said, Would you let my father and mother live here under royal protection until I know what God is going to do for me? Mm. So he's really seeking God. Like so, That's yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he wants to... He wants to get clarity around what God's plan is in the middle of all of this because it would have been hard to find that. He's, I mean, he's had he's been anointed as the king of Israel, and here he is running for his life. But that's not how he saw his life progressing. Oh, I don't think anybody would. No, uh, no, absolutely. Uh, so what? He, so he he went to Moab. What does what the what does that tell you? Does that ring a bell? What, uh, why would he go to Moab? Yeah, because he's. His father's Jesse. Is, yeah, there. my grandmother is from Moab. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just realised that. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is Ruth. What's Ruth? Is he's got Obed, Obed. Sorry, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David. So, so Jesse's Boaz. Jesse's father is Obed. Boaz, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David. So this is like so. Ruth's his grandmother. Grandmother or his great grandmother. Uh, I've said again. It's Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David. David. So Obed is great grandmother. It's his great grandmother. Yeah, yeah. So there's a family connection there. Yeah. So so it's he's basically appealing to. So Jesse, he's my father. Come, father lived here. So so Jesse is 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 um Ruth's grand Ruth is Jesse's grand grand uh, grandmother. Yeah. yeah. There's only one generation there. Yeah. So yeah, there's a family connection. So yeah, because. The Moab, you know, talked about these other countries. Edomites were the nearest relative. The Moabites were also closely related, but they were distinctly hated and looked down on. Mm. So this is interesting that he sends them there. Mm. Mm. Um, just interesting. Like I know with um, Ruth being a Moabite, Moabite, yeah, Moabite. Um, there's a like, earlier in scriptures somewhere it talks about okay, um, yeah, um, you can't. No Moabite? No, no, no Moabite for, the, for the 10th ten, ten ten generation. generation. Yes, that's correct. And that works out that it works out the <coughs> 10 generations. Ruth is generation 10. Yeah. Yes, that's correct. That's that's how the scholars have worked yeah. that out. Yeah, that's so right. Just, yeah, love how God weaves. He weaves his story yeah. here, doesn't he? Bring to say, like, yeah, bring not just the yeah, Jewish um, genealogy in, yeah. but it's also everybody else. It's, it's all the other people coming in. in. That's yeah. right. It's great. Yeah. Yep. So I found that fascinating. Um and um, what else was I thinking of? Uh, oh, David listened to the prophets. So here comes a prophet, Gad, um, uh, which was like, oh, so he's, yeah, where does he find this prophet? Like, does this prophet just rock just up? Just appear. <coughs> yeah, I don't know where Gad, Gad and Nathan are David's two main prophets. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really say where Gad appears from, does it? No. You have to no. almost assume he's like one of the discontents or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, good call. Yeah. But he appears and he gives David some direction. So yeah. even in this early stages, David's coming to that understanding that even though he's to be king, he still needs a court around him. He still needs the wisdom of of others. And I think that's an important lesson for all of us is that we can easily fall into the trap of thinking we know it all. Um, but there's wisdom in the counsel of many witnesses. And here in this stage, David's seeking wisdom and being willing mm. to accept direction from others who are subordinate to him. Yeah, yeah. Because it also says in, uh, I'm going to say jumping a little bit to the verse 15, um, I read, because um, um, Ahimelech is um, brought before Saul to yes. um, justify why was he talking to David and mm. um, um, that. And Ahimelech says, 
in verse 15. It was not the, certainly not the first time I had consulted God for him. Good call. So um, basically, please don't. So David was yeah. in the habit of seeking, seeking wisdom. Yeah. yeah. And we talked about this with Jimmy is that Saul's downward spiral. It started with just, oh, I was a bit jealous of David and he kept a jealous eye on David and he's trying to kill David. And then, and then he becomes David's enemy and he literally like, he's just obsessed with David. And this story here we're about to see is in the back half of this chapter is, um, uh, is, is horrific because this is where it comes to a head. He actually just completely, he's so obsessed with David that he, he's not happy with the fact that yeah. done nothing wrong. He's trying to defend himself and saying, Hey, Dave came and asked me and I've done this before. I just inquired of the Lord for him. I fed him I, just normal stuff. It was a normal day at the office. Day. Yeah. But he's just so obsessed, isn't he? Yes, he is. I mean, it's worth reading. Just read, let the story speaks for itself. Maybe we should just read it. What do you think? Yeah. So where are we going to start about, um, let's go um, back to, or oh, this is verse 11, isn't it? Well, I'd say start probably verse, um, verse 9. Verse 9. You um, just read the story. Or, yeah. Or, or actually it was like verse 7. Um, um, verse 7 it says, Listen here, you men of Benjamin. Saul shouted when he heard the news. Like I was The, the news that David has it's David left. That's um, returned Shot through. to the area. Yep. Um, has, and my thing is, is, well, in the NLT it says Saul shouted, but in other versions it just said Saul said. Okay. And I was just wondering whether he was like, this is showing how, I don't know, mad Saul was becoming because he was, this is showing some more emotion. Well, there's a lot of emotion in the story. Yeah. I don't know whether yeah. or not the word, Hebrew word is, is shouted or said, but yeah. it doesn't get the impression. This is not laid back Saul here. This is, this is completely obsessed oh, uh, with killing, with killing David and yeah. anybody that he thinks might've yeah. conspired. Yeah. Because it says there in um, sort of, um, so we shouted to his men saying, why hasn't anybody told me yeah. that David's It's all your back? fault, yeah. which is what you see. So yeah. It's all about me. Yeah. Why hasn't anybody told me? It's all, he's so insecure yeah. and he's yeah. so self-focused. Yeah. And all his men was like, oh, why have you conspired against me? And you're all on his side and that. And then Doeg, the Edomite, was um, there and said, when I was at Nob, he actually saw David talking to Elimelech, the priest. And Elimech consulted the Lord to find out what David should do. And he gave David food, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine. And King Saul immediately sent for Elimech and all his family who served as priests at Nob. When they arrived, Saul shouted at him, Listen to me, you son of Ahitub. 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 Hot tub. Hot tub. <laughs> Listen to me, you son of a hot tub. <laughs> I've never thought about that. <laughs> Sorry, the spelling is A-H-I-T-U-B. Yeah, a hitub. A hitub. Um, and Ahimelech replies, what is it, my, what is it, my king? Um, why have you and David conspired against me, Saul demanded? Why did you give him food and a sword? Why have you inquired of God for him? Why did you encourage him to revolt against me and to come here and attack me? But Sir Ahimelech replied, is there anyone among all your servants who is faithful as David, your son-in-law? Why, he's the captain of your bodyguard, a highly honoured member of your household. This was certainly not the first time I had consulted God, God for him. Please don't accuse me and my family in this manner, for I knew nothing of any plot against you. Um, you will surely die, Ahlimic, along with your entire family, the king shouted. He ordered his bodyguards, kill these priests of the Lord, for they are allies and conspirators with David. They knew he was running away from me, but they didn't tell me. But Saul's men refused to kill the Good Lord's for them. priests. Yeah. 
That's where I really realised this or was, when I was reading it was like, well, they realised it was wrong. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you, you, they're putting their own lives on the line to re- resist the king, but they are so disgusted with what he's doing that even his own loyal men are saying, nah, this is too far. Yeah. 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 So it was like, um, yeah, this coup's going on too wrong. It's going down the wrong track. Oh, well, yeah, that's right. This is, this is, Saul is so far, so far off track by now. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's and 10 he, tracks to the left of where he should be. Yeah, definitely needs some meds to get him back under control. Oh, it's terrible, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but then the king said to Doeg in verse 18, you do it. So Doeg turned on them and killed them, 85 priests in all, all still wearing their priestly tunics. So these guys are at work doing their job and Doeg sees an opportunity for promotion Yeah. from the chief herdsman to who knows what. Right. No one else is going to do it. I'll do it. Yeah. And he kills 85 priests. Mm. Um. Because still in their royal still robes, working, which is like you just do not do that. I mean, no. the, everything about that—the priestly robes, the priests represent—they God. are God's representatives on earth. It's just horrific. This yeah. is what sin does. This is what jealousy and insecurity do. It spirals out of control, and that's what we see from a guy who started with humble beginnings and did a few things right at the beginning. Well, here we go. They're, they're killing, and it's not just enough that he kills the priests. Verse nineteen. Then they go to Nob the town of the priests, and they kill the priests' families, men, children, women, and babies, and all the cattle, donkeys, sheep, and goats. This is, it's just, it's just tragic. I just, yeah. I mean, it, it seems, it, it's abhorrent to us. Uh, and you could argue, well, you know, that wasn't that, co- that wasn't that uncommon. You know, people would come in and invade and <clears throat> invading like the, you know, you see it in the Middle Ages, you know, the, the, the Vikings would do that sort of thing. They would just come in and rape and pillage a village and destroy it. That's bad enough, but that was common in that day. But what wasn't common was you didn't do that to your own people, let alone your own priestly tribe. Even the Egyptians understood that they, the priest didn't have to pay taxes during the time of the Exodus. They had every nation had a respect for its for its, for its, for its cloth, the, yeah. uh, the clergy. This is just, it's just yeah. disgusting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you can always see that God's got His hand in there because one, yeah, one got one, away. One got away. That's great. Yeah, uh, God. That's redemptive. Um, and he fled and escaped to David. One of a beef, one of yeah. Ahimelech's sons. Yeah. And when he told David what Saul had, um, that Saul had killed the priests, David was um, exclaimed, I knew it when I saw Doag there that day. I knew he would tell Saul. Now, of course, the death of all your family's fa- father's family, stay here with me and I will protect you with my own life for the same person wants to kill us both. So it was like, yeah. Um, David was like, yeah, I recognise that. What's that happened? I'm responsible. I'm responsible. Yeah, and he's so. prepared to lay his own life down to protect yeah. Abiathar now, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is which is a sign of regret, shock. Um, but he's, you know, he he wants to do what he can to make amends yeah. for him. I imagine if I'm if I'm David, I'm I'm rethinking everything in that conversation. Could I have done it differently? Should I have done it differently? Yeah. Should, should I should I have not brought him into it? Um, you know, you live with a whole oh. lot of regrets and yeah what ifs in this sort of situation. I think, you know, this story, and I know I probably sound like a broken record over the last few episodes, but this story, if anything from these narratives, we need to really take a good inch of look at ourselves and, and, and help us to realize just how potentially destructive our insecurities are. Yeah. You know, God says to Eve, the day you eat of the tree, sorry, he says to Adam, the day you eat of the tree, you'll die. Now they didn't die physically that point, but the end result was death. Yeah. The consequences of that. 
And what we're seeing here is someone who thinks they know best and they're just wreaking havoc and destruction mm. all around them. It's eating them up and it's eating up those around them. So, mm. so I think it's important that we, with Christ's help, get a handle on some of these, some of these attitudes very early on because, you know, David didn't set out to murder Uriah. He, he, no. he set out cause he had, you know, he saw a woman he wanted and the, the process just got worse and worse and worse. And this is, this is what sin does, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. It does. Uh, um, was it um, somewhere in the New Testament where it says, um, yeah, um, uh, you take, um, yeah, becomes a thought, sin yes. becomes a thought one and James then becomes two. something else and then becomes death. Yep. One, uh, you got it. It's in 1 James 2. It's in, sorry, not 1 James. It's only, it's only James, James 2, I think it is. Um, I used I used it actually in my sermon. Can't remember where it is. James one James one fourteen. I'm going to say, top of my head. James one fourteen and fifteen. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. No, that's nineteen. <laughs> <laughs> Gone ahead of myself too far there. Twelve, thirteen, fourteen. And remember, when you're being tempted, don't say God is tempting me. God has never tempted anyone to do wrong, and He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, mm. which entice us. And drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Yep. If there isn't a commentary on Saul's life, that's it right there, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And that's why I say let's keep short accounts. Mm. I think it's why partly why Jesus says, "Forgive us our sins." It's part of the Lord's okay. prayer because totally. otherwise, it just it compounds. It's, just, it's compounding interest, really, yeah. isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So, friends, if you know, don't let the sun go down in your anger. This is all the same thing. Mm. Just recognize that with God's help, we need to keep short accounts. Mm. Because it just it, it will be it will become all consuming. You know, we're not saying everyone will end up. I mean, there's cultural nuance here. Not we're not not going to end up murdering people, but but we can bring death to to the world around us and a failure to thrive to the world around us because we allow our insecurities and our hurts and our pains to fester. Hmm. Well, I was just thinking, like, um, yeah, it becomes our attitudes become toxic. Toxic attitudes, yes, um, yeah, and yeah, it influences others and all. Mm. Yeah, becomes a bad, bad taste in other people's mouths. That's right. So it's like that's where you go. No, just gotta. Um, as I, somewhere in this, when I was reading these scriptures, it was like, well, who am I to judge? That's right. We can all, uh, um, yeah. we can all experience this, can't we? Yeah. 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 All right, we're going to go on in the story and see David running around the countryside trying to stay away from Saul. <laughs> <laughs> so head to one Samuel twenty three. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 23, we're getting through it, still slowly, but we're still getting there. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, David's just running around the countryside trying to run yeah. away from Saul. Um, sorry, just remind me of the old, um, yeah, travel all over the countryside like the Leyland Brothers. Like the Leyland Brothers. Brothers. David is doing the Leyland Brothers uh, all over Israel at this yes. time, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, so he's traveling all over the place um, and he's getting a name for himself, I would say, because um, in the first first. Verse 1 says, um, news came to David that the Philistines were at Keilah, stealing grain from the threshing floors. Mm. Um, so David and his, yeah, uh, 400 men um, are getting a name to as a protector. Yeah, really? good call. That's Because um, that, it, it, it would be very easy for them to be just thinking about themselves. We, we're contrasting Saul, who's only obsessed with himself and using other people for his own personal obsession. We've got David, who has every right 
to be thinking about himself. And he, and you see this in the story with um, with um, Naboth as well. Not Naboth, was Abigail's husband. Um, Whatever we're going to get. Nabal. Nabal, yeah. But he, he's actually running for his life, but he's still, he and his guys are still, would you say protection? Yeah, it's still. Great. That's still fascinating. I have not seen that before, but that's, yeah. they're thinking beyond their own hmm. problems. Hmm. Well, yeah. sailor on that one, folks. Yeah. Um, that so, one deserves yeah. a round of applause. There you go. That's your first round of applause for the day, Phil. That's enough. I can't stop it. <laughs> um, because the news came to David and David sought, seeks the Lord, should I go and defend these guys? Yeah. Um, they didn't actually come to David by the sound of it. No, he didn't come to David no, and say, didn't come please to help. No. David's saying, well, okay, I've heard these guys are in trouble. God, what shall I do? Yeah. Um, and... Um, so he asks, asks the Lord and the Lord tells him, go down and um, he'll help. Um, he'll, I will help you conquer the Philistines, um, which is pretty strange when uh, at various stages. Not that long ago he was, he was showing, showing up at Gath trying to, yeah. He was like with the Philistines. Yeah. And he went and visited, then he's going to fight them and then he's going he's to pretend to be with them later on, but he's not really with them. He's living right. with them, but he's meanwhile ransacking the towns. Mm. Um, yeah. I think what's isn't it fascinating? I mean, I'd love to just do it. We won't do it now, but just look at how many times in the David narrative, these this term "ask the Lord" comes up. We've just seen it, at the, you know, in the at the at the tabernacle with Ahimelech. It's "ask the Lord, ask the Lord." It's like, and yet there's not one indication anywhere where Saul asks the Lord a thing. No. Wow. No. Um. So, yeah, um, but the question, actually, I found we were talking beforehand about um, where David's men were afraid. And yep. in verse 3, it says, David's men's, we're afraid even here in Judah. We certainly don't want to go to Keilah to fight ah, the whole right. Philistines. Um, yeah, we're bad enough chasing our yeah. own folks. Um, so we're trying to look after ourselves. Yep. But um, David says, let's go. And But David then goes back to the Lord. Ask the Lord again. And just to get confirmation. And God says, go down there. I will help you conquer, conquer them. So they do. Uh, so being in a tough time does not mean that we're outside the will of God. No. David has done nothing wrong. He's he's honored. We talked about this with Jimmy. He spent mm. he honored Saul consistently honored Saul, and he was he was dishonored despite his honor. He just continues to seek God. He continues yeah. to go back to God. God, what do you want me to do? He's on mission here to free God's people from the tyranny of the Philistines. Mm. Despite the fact that he's running for his own life, he's on mission. He's he's fulfilling his mission, um, which is yeah amazing. Uh, and it wasn't easy because his own men were. You said, like that was the point you were making. His own men think we're not going yeah. there. Yeah, we're bad in. enough we're here in the desert, let alone going there. Um, so yeah, that was sort of yeah, that was like another mm. point that was like oh mm. wow, um, and they oh they rescued ultimately they rescued the people of Keilah. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, it says Abathar, the priest, was tagging along. Yep. This and is the one left, the one leftover one, guy. Yeah. Um, and taking the ephod with him to get the answers from David for the yep. Lord. Um, what's an ephod? Ephod was the, uh, the thing that the priests would wear around them, which was um, like the cloak thing they would wear around them. And the, the way they would discern the will of the Lord was with the umum and tumum, which were basically dice, weren't they? Yeah. yeah. They're basically dice and they'd stick them in the 
it was almost like an apron thing, I think. And they'd stick them in the apron and that the priest would keep them over their heart. Um, I think it says actually it was sort of like it re- rested right over their heart mm. so that they, they were the means by which they would inquire of the Lord. So the high priest would carry those. And essentially this is the only priest left at this point. Yeah. He is the high priest and he's run away and he's taken them. And, uh, and they are the means of discerning God's will. And so what happened is they'd roll these two umumumthumun, these two little stones, and it's just, it's, it's not dice, but for the sake of example, we'll see. That's essentially what they were doing. Yeah. Now, that seems like ridiculous to us, but faith was attached to that. God used, always met people where they were at. And so they rolled dice, and basically it was capable of giving a yes, no, or wait, I think mm-hmm. it was kind of answer. Is that right? Is that your understanding? Not sure, actually. It wasn't sure what exactly what... But it was to give them direction. Give them direction. Yeah. And you see it in the context of the questions that are asked, So, um, which makes you realize that this is specifically inquiring through the Urim and Thummim. It mentions the ephod being there. Because David says, O Lord, this is verse 10, David said, Lord God of Israel, I've heard that Saul is planning to come and destroy because I'm here. Will the leaders betray me to him? Yes or no, basically. Yeah. And will Saul surely come as I have heard? That's the question. O Lord, please tell me. They roll a dice, he will come. So that's the answer to question one. And again, will the leaders of Kiela betray me to my men to Saul? Roll a dice, yes, they will betray you to protect themselves. So you can see the yes, no answer kind of thing coming out here. And I just need to park our 21st century understanding and go that this was a common practice. This was how they saw it. And in fact, you see the same thing. The last time you see anything like this is Acts chapter 2, Basically, they draw straws to see who will replace Judas. And you never see it again after the baptism in the Spirit. It's like they, they recognize, oh, we don't have to discern the will of God that way. We discern the will of God through the wisdom of the Spirit and the collective wisdom of the people of God together. That's how we discern the will yeah. of God. So now we I was just thinking my brain was going down to the yes, no, maybe, so let's go down two up and so let's start, yeah, raising <laughs> raising money for the house and let's have two up. Let's do two up. Yeah, let's do Anzac Day two up on the on the gray. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, the Jewish friends there. I don't I don't think you'd be too keen to have a row, round of two up against the against the Western Wall. <laughs> um, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, guys. Um, yep. My brain goes down weird ways, roads. Oh, uh, look, the, the yeah. Jews quite like Australian soldiers anyway. So, <laughs> um, Yeah, so if you go to Israel, we might go back to <laughs> Game Bathsheba. Up against the Western Wall. Uh, Beth, Bathsheba, Sheba. yeah, the, to Bathsheba. be a Sheba. Yep, not Bathsheba. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to go visit Bathsheba. <laughs> we'll visit Beersheba. We'll leave Bathsheba to David. <laughs> Yeah, what? Yeah, who would be coming on that trip? Now? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, but anyway, David and his men—he now has about six hundred people, six hundred men. So that's not just the men. That's well, you've also got women and children. Prob- that one, I don't know. Yeah, I, you know, there'd be a few women amongst yeah. them. Kids, I suppose, discontents would yeah. have to. They're protecting them as well. Yeah. There is because we know that later on. Yeah, well, the families is. are with them. Yes, that's right. So that's a lot it's of a people. lot of people. You're trying to hide a couple of thousand people in the middle of a, the desert. desert. Yeah. Well, they're then about to go to the desert. They're not there yet. Yeah. Yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, probably why they end up at Engedi at the end of this chapter because yeah. it's probably one of the few places it's down there where they could, could find, find hide yeah. that many people. Yeah. Um. So that was um. I was going to say um. Jonathan still only in verse fifteen. That's what I found. Was Jonathan shows up. Yeah, Jonathan finds up Paul verse sixteen. It says on on one day near Horish, David received the news that Saul was on his way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. 
Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. So somehow Jonathan snuck away from his dad's troops. Yeah. Off on his own and, yeah, wow. Yeah. And said, don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You're going to be the king of Israel. And I'll be next to you as the um, as my father is well, well aware. Um, and the two renewed their covenant um, of friendship before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed at Horish. Um, One of the saddest parts of that story is that David, that Jonathan returned home. Yeah. I mean, this, I think the narrative is set in such a way that Jonathan, he said, I'll be number two to you. Mm. And he could have been. Yeah. And not only could he have been, if he had have been, because David had a couple of number twos, especially one yeah. number two, or, yeah. well, you know, one one guy, Joab, he didn't fill that job very well. I yeah. often wonder wonder what would have been what it would have been like if Jonathan had have been his yeah. head of the army. Because Jonathan's character was just like run rings around Joab. Yeah. Joab's a bad honorable. dude. It was he's, an honorable. Incredibly bloke. honorable. Yeah. Um, but sadly, he, spoiler alert, sadly, he uh, stayed, went, went home, stayed, went, went home to dad and ultimately ended up dying on the battlefield alongside his dad. Yeah. David kept this pledge and commitment and years later, you know, blessed Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son. But oh, I just think that's one of the tragedies in this, that Jonathan, not just, not just for Jonathan, but also too, because of the fallout from Joab yeah. <laughs> that could have been avoided. Mm. Yeah, I hadn't thought of along those lines mm. for, uh, um, but the friendship there was just it was deep, st- something deep and strong. Yeah, yep, yeah. that's for you sure. Wouldn't see that in many people. No, so, yeah. Um, <clears throat> um, but I just still just remembering just that stay strong in his faith in God. Just yes. reminding people, reminding everybody. It's like yep. yeah, you've got Hang your faith. Keep your uh, faith. Yeah, keep the faith. Yeah. And I said to one person at my work today who was having a difficult time, I said, this too shall pass. Yes, that's right. Um, and the Bible says, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. Um, Better than saying the old one of, out of the gloom, a voice spoke unto me and said, smile and be happy. Things could be worse. So I smiled and was happy and behold, things did get worse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but God is in control. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's not going to get it got worse for day before yeah. it got better. I have to yeah. say that. Yeah. <laughs> and unfortunately it does at times, but yeah. Yes. Um, um, another point though, was like, um, verse 21, it's about Saul and this is how. Oh, he mentions stupid. the Lord. <laughs> um, the Lord, the Lord's. Oh, um, he's so far gone, yeah. isn't he? He, he says to basically to, um, the people. The people who said they would betray David. Yeah. He said, the Lord bless you. And at last someone is concerned about me. Uh, I was like, yeah, he's not concerned about himself that enough. Like he needs he, somebody he else. He needs other concerned. people concerned about him. At last someone. And then he invokes the name of the Lord as though that's a good thing. I mean, talk about defining right and wrong, eating from the tree of the knowledge of right and wrong. I mean, he's he's, he's got, just completely obsessed with himself here. He's got blind, and he, blinders you know, on. What is it? uh now, woe to those who call righteous good and good righteous. I mean, yep. this is this is what happened. He's, 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 he sees God in this act mm. of a group of people willing to betray David to him, and he sees that as a good thing. Mm. He is, his conscience is so seared by this point mm. that he cannot tell right from wrong. Mm. I'm just sort of thinking like of, um, yeah, um, throughout history, who people who believed black and blue that, um, yeah, I'm going to say slavery was yes, right. Yes, yep, that's right. Um, apartheid was right. Mm. Um, the 
yeah, American, yeah, uh, um, yeah, um, South North. That was right, and they could yep. swirl black and blue. That that yep. was right. Colonialism they, is a right yeah, thing. Yeah. The list goes on. We don't. We get so far into our own narrative. We we don't see where. Mm. And that's it. We, we end up calling the wrong things good yeah. and the right things bad, mm. you know? Mm. Yeah. So, that's what's happened to Saul. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and it's so easy for him to go down that road and so easy for us to yeah, go down that that's road. that's right, Phil. So yeah. So David call. spent some time running around the, the wilderness with 2,000 people trying to find somewhere to hide. I mean, yeah. it's not much down there, is there? I mean, no. the, there's um, by the time you get down this far south, you're in the Dead Sea region, um, down in the, the Negev of the southern part of Israel, of what is modern-day state of Israel, which is the, t- the southern part of Judah at the time. And, um, yeah, there's other than sort of just in the low-lying hills around Jerusalem and the Shephelah as you head south, once you head more than, what, maybe 30, 40 kilometres south of this area, oh, you, well and truly, yeah, less than that, less than that you're in the desert. Yeah. Um, and you're and it's it's not Sahara Desert, but it's arid, it's, it's rocky, rocky. Yep, very yeah. few trees, very little water. Um, but they they stumble across En Gedi. Yeah. That's where they, what's it say at so, the end there, that David went to live in the strongholds of En Gedi. And we might even, this next story is going to talk about En Gedi. We'll talk about our little experience at En Gedi when we get to the next, yeah. the next chapter. So oh. shall we go there? Yes. Let's All right, there. chapter 24. Okay. Um, 1 Samuel 24, this is, um, yeah, down in the, the rocks of En Gedi. Mm, um, the fortress that God describes uh, it as. Yeah. But when you're actually there, it doesn't look like much of a fortress. It looks um, like it can well, it's, be. Well, it's not a fortress it's as it, it's a natural, natural fortress, fortress, isn't it? It's not yeah. a fortress with walls around it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's an medieval. incredible natural fortress, yeah. isn't it? Um, it's amazing just yeah, when you drive up um, to the base of En Gedi at the bottom of it and you just see... Water's trickling out. You, yeah, so behind you, you've got as you park in the car park, you, you're about 400 meters from the red from the, the Dead, Dead Sea, sea. Yeah. and there's just nothing between you and the Dead Sea. And you look in front of you, and there's this canyon, okay. isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. canyon with um yeah, trees and um yeah, just greenery green. as far as the eye can see up the hill. Mm. Yeah, and then if you look further to the left or the right, there's nothing. Yep. Like it's like it's it, just this one. It's literally, spot. the greenery is in the canyon yeah. on either side of the canyon, mm. and that's it, really, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, um, it's just barren on both sides. Yeah, no, it's amazing to think. It's hard to describe. Just Google it. Just Google and get in. Look at some photos of it, and it will blow your mind. And uh, it's one of my favourite places to go. Yeah. Not not least because the first time I went there it was fifty degrees, and I'd just been on Masada at fifty degrees, and then so the waterfall was quite refreshing. <laughs> but when we were there, well, you guys jumped yeah. in under the water, didn't you? Yeah. When you were and there, it's, and it's cold. It's yeah. like fresh cold water. Yeah, it's, it's spring water. En yeah. Gedi, the word en in Hebrew, anytime you see en, it's spring. En yeah. Gedi, and Gev, lots of other ends. Mm. So it's, it, they're springs. And in this part of the world, just a bit of geography for you, um, you know, there's no, there's very little water rain here at all. Um, they, say, they say in Israel that half the nation is, is dry half the year. And the other half of the nation is dry all year. Yeah. <laughs> really, um, the the only water main water source. This is the Dead Sea. This is why the Dead Sea Scrolls. They're right here near this, within you know a few kilometers of this. The reason they lasted two thousand years is because how dry the air mm. is. There's very little rain. Um, the what happens is the water rains 
way up on the hills, 40 kilometers away up on the Jerusalem hills, and then it goes underground into the table and springs up all over this place. And then Getty is one of these main places where it just it's, it's, just, a, it's a permanent water it's supply. A permanent water supply. Other places, other places, it comes and comes goes. and goes. But yeah. this one is just te- it's water. It's a waterfall. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's abs- It's a lake, well, a small lake, but it's yeah. just teeming with life, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and that's one thing we did notice is that the the wildlife that was around. Yeah, there's small, goats everywhere and uh, yeah, small yeah, insects and, and yeah, um, yeah, um, birds. Every yeah. yes, wherever there's water, there's life, and yeah. it's um, it's it's an uncanny, uncanny canyon. Yeah. It's a, it's an uncanny place to go, and you can see why it's a why it's a, a fortress. Because, well, one if you're gonna live, you're gonna hide, you know, four hundred men or six hundred men and their families, you don't need water. Yeah, so it makes sense that they would go there, and it's also. A fortress in the sense that it was very, it'd be very hard to sneak up on anybody there, hmm. because it's barren around. You can put up people on the top of the canyons, put guards up there. You're not, you're not sneaking up on them, no. are you? No. Well, there's no trees around. There's to, nothing around. You yeah. can't hide behind anything. Yeah. So there, it's a. That's why it's a, it's a natural fortress. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you got a big cardboard rock in front of you, and you pretend that you're a big <laughs> rock. <laughs> big rock. You got one of those. If you've got one of the uh, elvish cloaks that you can throw over you, like they do in Lord of the Rings, you might be okay. Pretend you disguise yourself like a rock. Yeah. But yeah, that's the only way. It's um, it's a natural fortress. Yeah. It's quite an experience in Getty. Mm. Yes. Um, so this is where David yeah goes and hides for a while. Um, and there's caves in the area. Yeah, um, all over, isn't all it? Over. Not yeah. just that. Yeah, it's, it's limestone caves all through this area. There's plenty of places to hide. So this is where another thing where I think God's got a great sense of humour, um, because in verse, um, oh, what is it? Verse three. Um, yeah, it says at the place where the road passes. So Saul starts. Um, basically, I'll go back. Saul um, has finished fighting the Philistines. Who's told David has gone to gone into the wilderness of Engedi. So he takes his troops and travels. 3,000 elite okay. troops. Um, mm. And travels through the land, through Israel, to search for David and his men near these rocks of the wild goats. Mm. Um, Which is exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And it says, at the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. Um, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding in this very cave. Uh, I just think that's sort of... It's like a Monty Python sort of funny. <laughs> it's, isn't it? I've not thought about it like it's like a Monty Python setup, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, um, I can't relieve myself in this cave. <laughs> and Dave's any Dave's mates are going, This is it. Yeah. We're in the cave. Yeah. And look, there's the guy that's yeah. chasing us. Oh, let's kill him. Yeah. And so it's a God's got a great sense of humor, but this is a good story. He's probably left his boys outside because he's yeah. gonna relieve himself. Yeah. He's on it's his own in there. For yeah. some privacy. You've got 3,000 3, men outside and here he is completely exposed. Yeah. Especially when, okay. You have <laughs> In to, many ways exposed. <laughs> you've got to drop your deck somehow. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I can uh, imagine. So God's got a sense of humour. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I'm, He's probably a God's up going, hey, angels, come have a look at this one. <laughs> look at this setup. Because <laughs> I would be so tempted to go up there and give it a little poke. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, so that's God's got the good sense of humor. Yeah. So in this, in the cave, God's David's men saying, "Wow, today's the day the Lord will be. T- will um, today's the day um, the Lord was talking about when He said, I will certainly put Paul into your Saul into your power to do as you wish.' Um, so the men were sort of saying, "Well, here's your opportunity. Let's yep. take Saul out. This is it. We'll take the throne. Yeah." Uh, Makes perfect sense, logical oh, sense, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And you walk out of the cave and just, yeah, you've got instant troops. Yeah, that's troops. right. Yeah. Because you can, so, yeah, so, um, but 
so David, it says then, the David went forward and cut off a piece of Saul's robe. Um, and it's sort of always question is like, what's the point of, what's, what's the significance? Why, why take the robe? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think we got to think, where, where do we know of robes? I mean, if you think about royal robes, there, there's hems around those robes and those hems were often marks of authority. Mm. So it's, I think from now you're testing me because I'm maybe stretching what I think I've heard here. But I, I think from memory, the robes, the whole concept of the um, the hems on the robes actually morphed into things like the epaulets on the sleeves of soldiers and, and mm. people like that. So it comes to represent a sign of authority and different colors mean different things. So the king has this robe. So, uh, you know, it's, it's tantamount to snatching at that authority. Mm. To cut a corner of that robe is to say, you know, I've got the authority mm. now. And I think the woman, the woman pushing through uh, the crowd to just touch the hem of Jesus' robe, she's got this understanding that there's something about there's some, some authority. The in authority that robe. represents yeah. it in that in robe. The, I think it's hem. that same yeah. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was just thinking the um, priests um, in this time were told to make um, their robes, and on hanging off the bottom of the yes. bottom of the robes was the um, yeah, blue threads and all yep. sorts of all the different things. things yep. to, That's right. Yep. Um, pomegranate bells yep. and all that was all hanging of, off their robes. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. So they all had that symbol. Uh, it, it was a symbol of mark of authority and, and position and mm. title and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm. So that so, David goes and cuts a corner of that off. Yeah. To sort of say, Hey, I've, I, yeah, I'm taking part of your authority or yeah. could, could, yeah. could have taken some of your authority. Yes. I think that's yeah. right. Mm. I, I think at this point he's trying to do that. He's, he's fallen for this at this point, hasn't yeah. he? He seems to have gone a oh, good call. Let's go and do it. But somewhere along the process, he, he realizes, no, I'm not going to do yeah. that. Well, that's verse five. It says, then David's conscience began yeah, bothering right. him because he had cut Saul's robe. Yes. So he knew that that was the wrong thing. The Lord forbid know. that I should do anything to my Lord, the King. Yeah. Wow. That's um, that's not easy to say to, to someone who has turned you into their enemy when you have done nothing wrong. Yeah. David has done nothing but be loyal to Saul. And Jimmy talks about this really, that... Saul saw David as the enemy. David never saw Saul as mm. as his enemy. That's a big call, isn't it? To to, to stay honourable despite this. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. That's yeah. That's. I don't know if I could have done that. No, no. I think it's no. it's quite remarkable. And yeah. he goes on and says, "I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one." I think that's the key. Yeah. Is that he has this revelation of to attack Saul is not just to sin against Saul, it's to sin against God because he is the anointed king of God. Yeah. And it says he's, he's the chosen, he, the Lord himself has chosen, chosen him. him. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. And so, yeah. Even though, you know, technically you could argue, well, you know, the favor had transferred and he was he was the anointed one. This is the, by this stage, David is the anointed king. Mm. He's just not living out that anointing yet. So David has this understanding, I am the, I'm the king, I'm the future king. But this guy, I'm the inheritance to the king, but this guy's still the king. Yeah. This guy's still the Lord's anointed. So that would sort of made me think of it as like, well, um, yeah, how do we respond to people who are, um, who I wouldn't say were the Lord's anointed, were mm. doing great things mm. and then have fallen from favor? Yeah. Do we attack them and drag them down or should we still honor them or mm. honor the the mantle that they had mm. 
even though the, as a person they failed, but should we still? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. The role I know what I would have. I would have one hundred percent once upon a time said, even though even though I, I've never done this well. I mean, the point the point of the story is we're supposed to see this recognition that despite the way David's being treated, he he stays honourable. So this mm-hmm. is about his honour. Yeah. Um, I think that's the key. I probably have taken it too far in the past, and 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 the perpetuation of that is that. You can, you, this can be used, this narrative can be used to enable spiritual abuse. Yeah. Um, it's n- if you're listening to this, it's never right for a leader to control or abuse or attack or misrepresent, as which is what Saul's doing mm. here. And at no point in this narrative are you expected to think that was okay. Mm. The, in fact, it's quite the opposite. It's, it's really obvious that's not okay. But, but that said... David still has this thing of, oh, well, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. But I think it's more about not wanting his heart to become blackened. He knows that if he has vengeance, if he seeks vengeance against mm. the injustice, even though it's, he, he's acknowledging the injustice, that he, if, he, if he takes vengeance in his own mm. hand, it will consume him. I think that's the point we need to get yeah. out of it. That's not to say that we should stay in spiritual abuse if we – don't if you know just because we're touching the Lord's anointed. That yeah. doesn't say we shouldn't call people to account for their behaviour. All of those things. We fortunately live in a society where if, a, if someone <coughs> someone in leadership is, whether that's in your workplace or in the church, if there's leadership, we should be calling that to account. Oh. We, we have a code of conduct, and every, anyone has the right to call True. me on that code of conduct. And that's not attacking the Lord's anointed. That's yeah. that's upholding the truth of the gospel. So I don't. I think I want to make sure we don't take that to the point of spiritual abuse. But I think the point here is though that can we can we be like David and avoid it blackening our own heart True. and becoming bitter and twisted by that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was probably thinking I hadn't thought too much down that way, and and you're right with that. I was sort of thinking, well, I just um, I get um, oh, it makes me cringe when um. People, uh, I'm going to say, um, back in the day when the um, Protestants were um, attacking the Catholics, and yes. the, the um, yeah, the uniting were attacking the Baptists and yes. because of their difference, mm. and that's always cringed with me yes. because they're still doing God's work. Yeah, we're finding things that, that separate us rather than things that unite yeah. us. Yeah. So that's sort of probably where I was coming from. Is like that's. Um, yeah, I think yeah, that's that's still got to. We're all we've got to acknowledge the the anointing of the Lord. We might not yeah. agree with everything, hmm. but they're the anointing of the Lord. Let's focus on what we focus on. Not well, David. Saul became obsessed with David. I often yeah. think about this. I might have said this on the last podcast with Jimmy. David, so, Saul's so obsessed with David. He's running all over the countryside with his most elite troops chasing d- David, right. and I'm thinking. What about the security of his own land? What about yeah. upholding the cause of the right the right things for his people? He's mm. like he's forgotten about all of that. Yeah. So he's not honouring the c- call of God on his life, is he? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. But um, David does sort of say at the end. Um, oh, sorry, not at the end. Um, in verse twelve, he says, "The Lord will decide between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are doing to me, but I will never harm you." So he was like basically saying, "It's God who's going to judge." Mm. So, and yeah. yeah, we don't have that right to judge. Yeah, I think that's in, the key, isn't it? That's the key leave point Leave it up there. to God. Yep. So it's not saying that he's saying, oh, don't worry about it, Saul, it's okay. He's just, he's chosen to understand that the, the Lord is the righteous judge and yep. the Lord will judge what is right and, right and fair and leaving it to him so that he doesn't become consumed by the bitterness of it. Yeah. 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 
There's a there's and that's easy to say. That's very hard oh. to do. I, I tip my hat to David. Yeah. If I was being chased all over the countryside under fear of my life, I don't think yeah. I would find that easy and uh, to to do yeah. at all. Hmm. And I just read that the yeah it wouldn't be it would be hard. Like yeah, so was, David's got amazing grace. Yeah, um, with that. Um, Sorry, my brain just went. So, should we all become shepherds for I don't know sixteen years to learn what to, it's like to learn? Yeah, to learn that's to right. Well, David learned a lot of that yeah. through shepherding. That's yeah. right. But Saul says at the end of that chapter, he says um, to David, "Now swear to me by the Lord that what when that well, basically when Saul and um, when David takes over um, being becomes king, he says, um, swear to me by the Lord that what when that happens, you will not kill my family or destroy my line of descendants." Mm. David promised. And Saul went home and David went back to his stronghold. Well, yeah, David's didn't. When you sort of read the story, he sort of, yeah, saved his, um, yeah, saved he, Jonathan's. He fulfilled that. He's, fulfilled yes, that he promise. did. Yes, he did. He so, made sure that David's that yeah. Saul's descendants continued. He yeah. was faithful to that, yeah. Um, and what we see here, I talked about this in the last podcast too, you see a little bit of a, a glimmer of remorse in, in Saul. And this is the thing, this is the battle. I've talked about this with Jeannie and the sin podcast. There's, there's part of us that is imaged in the image of God and wants to do the right thing. Romans 7 talks yeah. about this. I want to do the right thing. I keep doing the wrong thing. It's like this little hope there. Oh, has he got it? Like he said yeah. when previously when um, Jonathan said, oh, David doesn't want to kill you. And he goes, okay, let him come back. It's like this, he just wants to do the right thing, but he just falls back into his... His so sinful like, nature, like, his flesh rises yeah. up again, and like his fear. Ten percent of good, yes, and ninety percent right. evil. It's like before, I want to do the right thing, but I keep falling back. Yeah, yeah. and as we see that here, it looks like oh, it's promising, but but uh, you know, Saul goes home, but David, David once bitten, twice shy, he's not going yeah. back. True. Yeah. True. Um, it's worth mentioning just a bit more geography here, just before we finish this chapter out, is that, um, you know, they're talking to each other on opposite sides of the hill. It's And you think, well, how, how can they have all these people um, talking to each other and not literally just having a conversation, Saul and David having a conversation. And what's going on here is that David's gotten to the other side of the canyon. This canyon is very steep, isn't it? And it's literally there's the river, the spring runs down the bottom. It's like a – don't think river, think um, – a stream. A stream. Yeah. Yes, it's a stream. It's more than a creek. Yeah. It's a stream, but it's not. It's not a. It's not a wide river or no. anything. Um, you can cross it. Uh, yeah, in po- most places you can cross over on a few crossing stones and things, yeah. but it's running pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're high cliffs on each side, so it's quite easy. And what across opposite sides of the cliff, you'd be no more than 20, 30 meters apart across the cliff, maybe. Oh, yeah. 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 Probably twenty meters. Yeah. So you can talk 40, across the top. 40, 50 meters deep. Yeah, that's right. It's probably forty minutes deep. Yeah. So yeah. you can talk across the cliff, but you're gonna have two armies on either side and they're not going to be able to interact with each no. other. Maybe they can shoot a few arrows here and there, yeah. but um but there's trees everywhere and rocks and all that yeah. sort of stuff. But yes, it makes sense that that they could actually have this conversation from opposite sides of the cliff. Mm. Yeah. 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 All right, we are headed into uh, chapter, we're going to 25. Okay, 1 Samuel 25. Um, This is an interesting story because, or part of it, First of all, Samuel just dies. He, he up and dies. <laughs> he just in one died. Verse. Samuel died, and all else gathered for his, Israel gathered his funeral. They buried him in his house at Ramah. Move on. Yep. Next. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure you know the context. <laughs> Sam's dead by now. Um, oh dear. Um. Yes. Well, 
yeah, anyway, another, another, another time. So then it goes into another story of um, um, a bloke who angers David and mm. um, which is quite strange that David got angry. At and this, this is bloke. a guy who David's trying to do the right thing by again, yeah. isn't he? Like just like he was faithful to Saul, you're going to see in this story, he, well, we won't read the whole story, but Naboth is a, a, um, a shepherd. Yep. Uh, he's a wealthy landowner. Got lots of sheep, and David and his men go and protect the shearers from cattle rustlers, or sheep rustlers, I suppose, and protect the people like they did with Kayla. Yeah, they, they just thought that they expected that if they protected them, that they would be provided right. for. That was just you know, hospitality. Jenny and I talked about this a lot. Hospitality in the ancient Near East is massive. Yeah. The big problem here is that. Naboth refuses to be hospitable towards him. I and mean, it's just something you do, let alone the fact that he's protected his sheep. Yeah. 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 Um, but um, one thing I found sort of interesting was, um, yeah, um, he was a des- descendant of Caleb. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and thinking, oh, well, yeah, um, Caleb was the apple one of one a of, long way from the tree in this case, yeah, didn't it? Yeah. He was one of the two that lasted through the water, yes. 40 years walking in the desert yeah. and came in through the promised land. Yeah. Um, so you would expect some family heritage that would have given this guy some some nobility, but, I mean, his, his name means fool. Yeah. So this guy is, um, yeah, it's it's a he's the opposite of that, isn't he? Yeah. He's the opposite of Caleb, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, my version says he was mean and dishonest in yeah. all his dealings. Yeah. Gnarly. Yeah, he's, he's not a good bloke. No, no. Mean and dishonest in all his dealings. And he's wealthy, so he's got his riches through dishonest through, gain. Through gain. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. all right. Sounds some business people that we it, might, it does. might hear and about. The economy's not great, is it? No. no it's not no. good economic practice. Yeah. So basically he goes to um, David, goes up to him during um, a celebration and says, um, yeah, please let us basically stay with you for a while. Be kind to us. Give us some yeah. Um things in return for yeah. what we've done before. I've been looking after your sheep. I hear it's sheep shearing time. Yeah. Could you share some of your spores with us? We've been looking after you. Yeah. Um, we never yeah. harmed your men. We always protected them. Yeah. Nothing was ever stolen, etc. And um, and Nabal replies saying, who is this fellow David? Um, who does this son of Jesse think he is? There's lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take my bread and water and meat I've slaughtered for my shearers and give to a band of outlaws? <laughs> Um, so that's a real insult. It's absolutely so, insult. It's the exact opposite of hospitality. Definitely. Yeah. Keeping for himself. He goes, no, nope, this is all me. I'm going to yeah. keep it for myself. Um, uh, so David says, okay, well, I'm going to say up you. He I'm does. I'm going to come back and. Uh, yeah. pretty much what he says. Yeah. Get your swords on, boys. Yeah. Um, David's reply was, it get your swords on as he, he and 400 of his men they left 200 to look after the equipment and the wives and everything else, and the other 400 were ready to go and not mm. just kill Nabal, but take kill out the whole family. Yeah. Um, not, he's, what's he say? He says, uh, the Lord deal with me if even there is uh, – where is this? Um, the Lord deal with me if there's even – it's probably a little bit later on in the passage. Uh, he, yeah, um, verse 22. Verse 22, is it? May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. What a change from the same David who in the previous chapter has, um, you know, yeah. been conscious stricken for cutting off a corner of Saul's robe. Something's going on, isn't there? Yeah. This uh, is a bit of a wait. What moment? Is, is this the same Dave? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going on, Phil? Um, a lesson for us. Yeah. 
to sort of take stock and um, reflect and don't do anything rash, really. Because mm. even though it would take him like a day or so to get there. Yeah. Um, well, he was going to be there and he was going to, yeah. So something is, there's a lesson What's in tripping? it for us. Isn't it? I mean, this is Noble Dave, but for some, he has a different value system towards this guy as he does towards Saul. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's almost a blind spot. It's like in his culture, it's okay. I can't kill the Lord's anointed, but it's okay to go and completely destroy this town, this guy's no. ha- household. And it's it's clearly not yeah. because he 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 needs someone to <laughs> Abigail intervene. to come and intervene and yeah. intercede yeah. And, and help it, him see the error yeah. of his ways. But that, once again, like, he's not immune to hot headedness either. No. no, and it's not like okay, he's um yeah defending a village or something that's being pillaged. No, this is the opposite of that. He's going into this person's house or yeah. property. Yeah. Or aiming to go into the property to kill. Mm. So, And the thing is he, he wants to – this is a case of him wanting to take <clears throat> vengeance into his own. Yes, it's an injustice. It's a, it's a gross injustice that yeah. he wasn't offered provision, even without doing anything in that culture, ancient Near East culture, like the Bedouin yeah. culture is very hospitable, but to – to have protected his flocks and his shepherds and still not be offered anything is a gross injustice. Mm. But he, unlike in the previous chapter where he said, I'll leave it with the Lord, this one he's he's taking it, he's about to take justice into his own hands. Mm. And I think there's that's a, that's a contrast from previously, yeah. but it just shows that we're all capable of yeah. this. It's a reiteration. Don't fall for this story. Mm. Don't fall for this justice is, you know, his vengeance is yours. The Lord would say, no, vengeance is mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, so... Uh, this is where wisdom, and I'm going to put it out there, the wisdom of a woman. Yeah, come on. Yep. Abigail. <laughs> yep. Um, so Abigail is um, Nabal's wife. Yep. So Not she, by choice probably. Uh, uh, <laughs> it would have been an arrangement. Um, she doesn't have a lot of time for yeah. her husband either. Um, and uh, and she gets the facts that, um, that yeah, David's been insulted um, and that the – David's men were very good to all this, so she put it, got put into facts or into context why why David come along, and um, was basically said, yeah, be careful. Um, but, but, oh, he says this servant says to Abigail, you better think fast, for there is going to be trouble for our master and his whole family. Mm, yep, he's so ill-tempered that no one can even talk to him. And so he's a real hothead. He is. Yeah. Um, so Abigail, she's got no chance, and she's his. She's his wife. Yeah, so she can't talk him down. So basically she goes to plead in one sense to David, uh, taking um, gifts. Yep. The gifts that David was asking for, she's quickly um, gets them all, packs them up on donkeys and um, says, let's go. But didn't tell the husband. Yep. Um, and I must say, I do like when she, when she comes up to David or she sees David, she... Um, takes the humility of a of a servant, and yeah. in a lower position, mm. and um, puts herself under his David's authority, and falls at his feet and says, "Accept, I accept all this blame. Um, please That's listen to a what I have to say." Pattern of intercession, isn't it? Yeah. Let it fall on me, but give me a moment to yeah to share. Yeah, yeah. it's it's um incredibly courageous of her. Yeah, this is like. Um, appealing for justice, appealing for kingdom justice at the risk of her own life. Yeah. Because um, she, if she's got the ability to do this, she's got the ability to shoot through. I mean, go somewhere else. She doesn't have to go to David, but she's risking, she's doing like an Esther moment. She's risking her own life for the sake of what's right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, she's on a mission, you might yeah, say. She is. She is. She's a missionary to uh, David in this yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, and further down, she says in verse 28, says, Please forgive me if I've offended in any way. The Lord will surely reward you for a lasting dynasty, for you are fighting the Lord's battle, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Um, even when you've chased by those who seek your life, you are safe in the care of the Lord your God, secure in his treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemy will disappear like stones shot from a sling. Um, what I love about that is yeah. that is um, brilliant psychology. Uh, it's speaking truth over a person. Uh, it's doing it in an honoring way. Mm. And it's it's a back backdoor preaching at him to say, come on, Dave, yeah. you know, you know, you know, you know better than this. Yeah. That's what it's doing. But she's doing it in such a gracious way that it doesn't doesn't get his back it's, up. It's he actually affront, sees it's it. not confronting. It's not confronting. No, yeah. that's right. And there is this is a good model of how we can bring correction and direction to someone who, you know, might not be open to it. Yeah. Find the point of confidence and and speak to that. I mean, it's great when you can go to someone, talk to them straight, and say, "Look, I think mm. that wasn't feel that wasn't really good. Yeah. You should have done better." But in this situation, she's found a way with wisdom and tact. To do it and win David back from, and prevent David from what he is about to say, ne- prevented me from needless bloodshed, he says, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah. Um, yeah. David replied to Abigail in verse 32 Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you to meet me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from murdering the man and carrying out vengeance with my own hands. Um, for I swear by the Lord, the God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you have not had not hurried out to meet me, not one of Nabal's men would be alive tomorrow morning. He accepted the gifts and told her, return home in peace. We will not kill your husband. So, yeah, it was a good wake-up call. Good wake-up call. And just to wrap out the story, so Abigail goes home, Nabal's drunk. She doesn't bother about telling him anything. The next day she says, hey, guess what? <laughs> I mean, she would have done a little bit of a bit of... Uh, up you to a husband, I suppose, but she tells him and he he basically has a heart attack yeah. and dies um, because he realises how, how at risk he is, how, how vulnerable he was. And uh, and then after that, Abigail, Dave says, give me Abigail, I'll marry Abigail. Yeah. He sees something in her. And then whatever you think, think with that, we're not going to get yeah. into the whole polygamy thing here, but he does take, Dave, he does take Abigail as one of his wives. There's something special about this girl. Yes. This woman, yeah, that sounds yeah very disrespectful of me. But this woman, she's um, got some special character. Yes. Um, um, yeah, I was, well, because I must admit, in the same process, she did, um, David does marry another person. Yes, uh, yes, exactly. At the uh, same time, that's why I mean, both of him his wives. He takes so. he takes them both and make yeah. Yeah, starts these polygamous relationships. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's already married to Mikal. Yeah. Um, although she's been married off to someone else in yeah, the so, meantime. In the, yeah, so that voice, the next verse, in the last verse of chapter 25, it says um, Saul gave oh, yeah, his wife is. to Mikhail to some bloke. So Gallum named Palti, son a man from Lish. Gallum named Palti, son of Lash. Yeah, so yeah. that's right. I knew it was there somewhere. Yeah, so, um, you know, David, yeah, that's a whole, the whole polygamy Looking conversation is a whole different, probably different need to address that, in a, address that in its own right in a Q&A episode. Yeah. Um, but, I think the the story, the narrative for us here is that Abigail is the hero of this chapter, isn't she? Yeah, she is not David. No. He is the benefit beneficiary of Abigail's nobility. Yeah, yeah. I just um, what did I have it down that Abigail was an honourable woman um, with humility, um, 
recognizes the wrong and accepts responsibility. Yeah, so she yeah. stood in the gap. Yep. She's this, this intercessor. intercessor. She that model of stand in the gap. Uh, it's it's almost like um, having your feet shod with the gospel of peace. It's yeah. like taking it, owning it, making it hers. Yeah. It wasn't her injustice. It was it was a husband's, but she owns it. She she puts it right. She goes out of her way. She provides. She does. She provides mm. what Nabal should have approved, which was some food and some yeah. supplies. So um, yeah, it's a it's a great thought. I think for us practically with this this sort of passage, folks, it's just a reminder twofold. One, the danger of taking things into our own hands, which we yeah. sort of similar talked on in the last chapter, coupled with just how um, with the right wisdom and the right tact, we can actually be a vessel for positive change. We can actually bring mediation to where there is tension, where there is yeah. hardship. And we're all called to do that. We're all called to have our feet shod with the gospel of peace. Yeah. We need to be always really willing to be able to step in and put our own lives on the line for the sake of justice. Mm. Yeah, which is what she does. Yeah. Anything and else you want to add? In well, there? I was just reminded, like with standing in the gap, is like Moses did that. When, yes, when God did. was going to say, "Well, let's wipe out all these people yep. and start all over again," yep. and Moses was like, "No, yep. these Moses are your people. Is, it's a priestly it's duty." Yeah. yeah, and this what she's doing here is a priestly, priestly duty. duty too. Yes, that's yeah. right. There you go. You got a woman yeah. being fulfilling a priestly role. That's mm. how the narrative wants you to see this. Yeah. She's fulfilling that role just mm. like Moses. She's interceding on behalf of um, on behalf of mm. her own household, I suppose. Even though they really deserved yeah. it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. in that yeah. sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, I must admit, I don't know how much weight that she she gathered. Two hundred loaves of bread, two two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, so five dead sheep. Uh, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, 100 raisin cakes, 200 fig cakes, and she packed them all on some donkeys. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of food. That's a lot of food. Yeah. yeah. So she's kept, she's got her servants involved in this yeah. process too. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's what hospitality should, hospitality should look like, should yeah. look like in this culture. Yeah. All right. Well, that's the end yeah. of uh, one Samuel. We're going to head over to Acts now, aren't we? Yes. Yep. Here Acts we go. Acts chapter 10. Acts 10. Okay, jumping across the book of Acts, um, coming into the New Testament. So um, dust off that dusty dirt from the um, desert. From the desert, <laughs> the deserts of Judah. Yeah, and let's come up to Caesarea. Up to Caesarea. Uh, which is an awesome place to come and visit. Another great, oh, yeah. oh that's Caesarea Maritima. I keep Maritima. saying this is my favourite place. This is, this is my favourite. Uh, this is cool, isn't it? Caesarea uh, Maritima is pretty amazing. Yes. Yeah, so if you want to see uh, uh, yeah. amphitheatre and all sorts of Hippodrome, um, swim in the Mediterranean Sea. Yes. Yes. Visit um, ancient, what else is there? A, a, ancient uh, ruins from, from the oh, Byzantine Bataine. era. Yeah. Um, yeah. Aqueducts. Aqueducts. Oh, yes. It's yeah. got everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you come to... Um, flooded. Is, you can even dive on the reef, uh, on the flooded, rem, oh, we haven't done that, but no. on the remains of... What was the harbour that's now sunk okay, yep. below the sea? Yep. Yeah. So you come to Israel, you can sing, swim in the Mediterranean, the dead and the Red Sea. Yep. The Med, the dead and the red. Yeah. And you can do it in a day, yeah. actually. It would be a long day, but you can yes. swim in the Med, the red, the dead and the Med in a day. My dad so, tells me they did that once. Yeah. Well, I promise that we're not going to do that. No, no, uh, we wouldn't do that. No. Um, so Caesarea, there lived a, a Roman army officer named Cornelius, um, which is strange that now we're going into like, hey, this is a Roman. Now we're leaving officer. the Jewish context, context and we've been the Samaritan context. Now we're heading into the end of the earth okay. context. We're heading into 
This guy is recorded as the first, um, you'd have to say the first Gentile convert. Um, I think, you know, you could yeah. say the Ethiopian eunuch was a Gentile convert, but I, I don't think he was a Gentile. I think he was a God-fearer because the Ethiopians, that part of Africa, did have a, a strong Jewish contingent that they tracked back to the time of the Queen of Sheba yeah. in Solomon's day. So I think the the way that he's reading Isaiah and all that, that presupposes that he is, well, he's a eunuch, so he's not circumcised probably, but um, but it presupposes that they are I don't yeah. know. What do you think? I, think? I would think I would think that he was uh, for like a Jewish descent. Yes, yes, they're probably Jewish how, descent there. Yeah, how, yeah, because he yeah. wouldn't wouldn't been a whether a true Jew in mm. one sense, but yeah. um, he was definitely a a, a believer. Yeah. And well, in any case, Peter is going to refer to Cornelius as later on in Acts fifteen. He's going to refer to this as his uh, primary, um, you know, first encounter with a Gentile getting saved. Oh, so well, it is. Yeah, it is. It is. It. Even though he is a, he was already a devout God-fearing yes. man. He's a, so he's so, a God-fearer. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's different levels. So there was, um, there were proselyte, proselytites, yeah. I think proselytes, proselytites. They were Gentiles who had become Jewish. So they had been circumcised and obeyed Torah, um, and ate kosher yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Um, so they, for all intents and purposes, were Jewish. That was that was quite common yep. in the day. Um, lots of people across the empire did that because there was an attractiveness about it that they mm. didn't see in the pagan religions. Then there were God-fearers who hadn't gone all the hadn't way. had the snip. <laughs> <laughs> they hadn't gone all the way, but they still had a, a respect, yeah. and that's where Cornelius yeah. fits in. Yeah. Well, he was also. Um, well, I would say he was very. Um, yeah. Um, what's the word? Devout God-fearer, but he was. Um, um, like he prayed at, at three o'clock in the afternoon, yes, yeah, which was a Jewish, a Jewish practice. Yes, is to pray. So he's the, he's all but, but the, he's not obeying yeah. Torah. He's but he's he's on. He's certainly yeah. a God fearer. That's what they yeah. call them. They call them yeah. God fearers. Yeah. yeah, which I would say is if you're a, a Roman officer, it would probably be a bit hard to mm. go all the way mm. to eat kosher and all that when you're yeah yeah. Well, you're you're dining with uh, people all the time. Yes, yeah. it would have been a challenge, yeah. wouldn't it? But um, he had a vision. He saw an angel coming towards him and told him to go to send, go, um, like he, the angel said, we, we know that you're a God-fearer and you're doing all the right things, so now go to a place called Joppa. Joppa. Yep. Um, awesome place to go and visit as well. That's another <laughs> place to go and visit. Um, yes, it is. And nice, little, nice little spot. Yeah. Um, and and bring a bloke called Simon Peter. Yeah. Um, so this is one of three, I talked about this with Jimmy, it's one of three supernatural evangelism encounters. We have Philip and the Ethiopian, mm. we have Saul being meeting Jesus, and we have this one, yeah. all involving angelic or, or vision, visions of Christ, and all three of them still involve yeah. a human, Jesus, telling a person to tell a person about Jesus. Yeah. 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 Which is part of mission. Mm. We partner with God in that process. Mm. Well, I was actually going to ask that sort of a question. Is like he's got a visions and obeyed. Is this like like this? Um, if yeah, he had the vision um, and he straight away obeyed. Yes, and it's like, well, is this a regular occurrence? Like for for this bloke, is this a regular occurrence? Because I would probably, if I'd had a vision and I'd never seen one before, I would freaked out and gone. Yeah, I've yeah. Um, yeah, run away. I don't know. Uh, I, I think those cultures are probably more attuned to the concept of God speaking through visions and dreams than perhaps we are today. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he's God-fearer and I, I suspect he's, you know, he's acting on what he's seen. Uh, yeah, you're right. It, it wasn't, it wasn't um, 
afraid. Cornelius, well, he was afraid. Cornelius yeah. stared at him at terror. Nearly every time an angel appears in the Bible, the first thing they have to say is, don't be afraid. Yeah. <laughs> These angels aren't little sweet little things. They're, they're, they're awe-inspiring. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, but I think there's enough of a conviction from what the angel says that he goes, okay, I'm going to go and do this. Yeah. Now, think about it. The angel could have laid the whole story out. If he's going to the trouble to appear, he could have gone, been a whole lot easier for him to say, hey, Cornelius, you're nearly on the right track. You need to know about Jesus. Let me introduce you to Jesus. He's right here beside me. Yeah. And you'll meet him. And you'll... But no, he partners with humans. He goes, go down the road, find this dude, call him to come to you. It's like a day's journey yeah. each yeah. way. Call him to come to you. You know, that's that whole partnership arrangement. And he doesn't even tell him what. He doesn't even know. He says, you're going to see it later in the story. He calls Peter and he goes, Oh, an angel appeared to me, tell me to get you. Now, what do you have yeah. to say to me? Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't uh, know the full story. He's, oh. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That's, what's the word? Um, not, not blind obedience. It's just so, okay. Yep. I'm going to do, do as I'm told. Yeah. yeah. And I'll figure it out on the yeah. way. Yeah. Yeah. So, whereas we in the Western culture are probably a little bit more, no, no, I need to have the 10 I need steps. need to have it all worked out before yeah. I do it. That's um, right. Yeah. All he knows is he's called for this guy called Peter, Simon called Peter, and go and send for him. Yeah. That's all he knows. Yeah. Um, and then that's what, like, Peter has a vision. Yeah, Peter has a vision next, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, when the messengers were nearing the town, like the dudes were coming to collect him, um, Peter went up to the um, roof, prayed, and he fell into a trance and saw this sheep with all these animals and birds that were non-kosher. Yep. And God tells him to go and kill them. And interestingly to Peter, and he's so them. indoctrinated that um, unlike unlike Cornelius, he goes, yeah, okay. Yeah. He's so deeply indoctrinated in kosher that he sees his vision and he argues with God, doesn't he? Yeah. No, what uh, are you talking about? I don't, I've never eaten yeah. anything unkosher, Lord. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> so much so that it has to happen. The vision happens three times. And whenever you see three times in the Bible, that's a sign that um, the repetitiveness of it, three times is a sign that God's reinforcing it. Like, um, you know, three times there were, Joseph had Joseph's, Dreams, yeah. You know, Pharaoh had dreams three times, all that sort of stuff. It's that repetitiveness of it. It's sealed. Yeah. I was going to ask that question. What's the significance of three? Yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah. I think is it. Am I right? And Pharaoh, Pharaoh yeah, had three, two, dr- two thought, dreams. He had two separate. The, um, the, he had the wheat the fa- and the cows. Yeah. Where's the three? Oh, it's the three, the three days, the three. Yeah, I think and maybe I'm maybe I'm reading too much into that there. It could it's, be. It's the cupbearer and the baker that have the conversation. They have the vision yeah, of yeah. that, three, but that's related to three, three days. days. Yeah. Three days. Okay. So I stand up. corrected. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, somebody can tell us. Someone will tell us. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely, you know, the fact that it's repeated is is God saying, I'm getting your attention on this, Pete. Yeah. You think it's, don't call anything unclean that I have called clean is yeah. the message here. Because he thinks, I don't eat anything that's not kosher and God presents these animals and says, Hey, these animals can be kosher if I say they're kosher. Yeah. He has this vision three times. And then it says while he was pondering the meaning of it. So he knows there's some significance there, yeah. but he's going, what was all that about? Yeah. What on earth is God trying to tell me? So he's, he's attuned to something going yeah. on. Um, and it's at that time, isn't it? It was at that time that, um, yeah, he was contemplating that and puzzling over the vision. The Holy spirit said the, Three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. What if there's three men? I was just thought that three men. You never thought that either. Hmm. Three yeah. times, three men. Uh, just another confirmation yeah. of yeah. that you're on the right track. Because yeah. this is upsetting Peter's worldview. Yeah, Peter's okay with Jews 
with Gentiles becoming Jews. He's got no problems with that. But Peter has no concept that a person could become a Christian and a follow a Jesus follower without, without becoming, becoming a Jew, Jew first. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So that's unless Peter's really thick and got to got to hit him over the head three times. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, which is probably like me. I would probably do that. We all need constant yeah. change because yeah. we get stuck in our ways. Yeah. 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 But I do like it where um, further down um, the guys Peter comes down and says, "Yeah, I'm the dude you're looking for," and the um, people who came for Peter's um, explain what's happening. Um, and Peter in verse 23 says, invited the men to stay for the night. <laughs> now, how would, what how would, would the, the guys the that go- li- the, who own the place <laughs> be thinking about having these um, Good yeah, question. These, these Gentiles, Gentiles stay- coming and staying in the yeah, house? Yeah, wow. Good thought. Good thought. Um, did Peter do a quick um, he might have had sermon? To explain, <laughs> he might have had to explain his vision to... Uh, whose house is it? Simon, Simon the Tanner. Simon the Tanner. He might have had to explain it to Simon the Tanner. Hey, by the way, Simo, I've had this dream. It's okay. Yeah. You know, because no, you normally don't bring Gentiles into your house. That's yeah. a really good thought yeah. there, which shows a tremendous, once again, it's that hospitality thing. I mean, the very in our culture, if you're a guest at someone's house, you're not going to invite other people who no. are your guests to be guests at someone else's house that you're a guest of. Yeah. But it's this deep entrenched hospitality culture. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah. Something must have happened there. I mean, Peter's deeply revered and respected as a, as a leader. In, and yeah. obviously Simon the Tanner's become a, a follower, a Jesus follower. But yes, you're right. That would have been, a, it would have been, doesn't say that, but it would have been no. quite challenging for, for Simon to figure that and allow that to happen. Yeah. It's one thing for them to stand at the door. It's another thing to come in and be guest for the, for yeah, the night. Yeah, stay in the night unless yeah. they got sent up to the roof. And yeah. Yeah. Mm. It, will, it wouldn't be practice. <laughs> no. I mean, no, absolutely not. In no. fact, when, we're going to see that in a minute. When Peter shows up at Cornelius' house, he says, yeah. well, you're well aware that we're not supposed to even come in here. Our law doesn't let us to come in, come inside this house. Yeah. yeah. So that was sort of, I was like, oh, wow. God's, mm, God's doing work with that one. Yeah, he is. That's great. Yeah. Good yeah. thought. Um. So I did love when Peter went up to Cornelius's house. Um, Cornelius had um, his family and everybody knows come. He's gathered the whole tribe, isn't he? Yeah, and close friends. To and Peter entered the home. Cornelius fell on his feet, feet to wor- and to worship him. But Peter says, "No, I'm a, I'm a man, um, just like you." And um, Peter told him that he was like, "You you know, this isn't kosher." Yeah, this isn't kosher. Here. Me being here. Um, yep. but God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone, anyone, not these animals, not the animals, anyone, anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Um, now tell me why you, yeah. why you called now me. Why'd you call me? Yeah. So he doesn't know anymore. Cornelius knows to call Pete. He doesn't know what to call him about. Yeah. Pete just goes, okay. He doesn't know why Cornelius has called him. It's almost like yeah. God just weaving mm-hmm. the whole thing together. And these guys are just on a, a blind journey, like chess pieces just <laughs> making their yes. way sort of obedient to what they know. Yep. They don't know the whole thing, but God is orchestrating the tapestry together yep. to bring Cornelius and his household to salvation. Isn't that powerful? It is. It God is. uses us even though we don't know the whole picture. We don't need to yep. know the end from the beginning. We just put one step in front of another. The, the scriptures say the Lord, you know, the word, so, Psalm 1. 39? No, 119. Your word is a, a light yeah, unto my, my feet. Yes. Yep. It's not like way out in front, shining the whole path. It's just what's Watch the next the thing? Step. What's the next yep. step? And they did this. Both these guys just took a step yeah. and it figured out. God just orchestrated those steps. You know, the yeah. steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. Yeah. yeah. Good call. 
Yeah, so I love that. Um, and so he was given, Peter, Peter knew why they were called and he says, I, now I can see clearly now. I can see clearly now um, that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, He accepts those who fear Him and do what is right. Um, doesn't say that for those that get circumcised and become That's right, become Jewish, Jewish. Yep. but it's those who fear Him and do what is and right. And do what is right is those whose hearts are mm. disposed toward Him. It's the whole Second Chronicles. The Lord looks for those hearts that are are, are for Him, yeah. and He can He can honor that. Mm. Yeah, and. And this man was doing right. He was yeah. providing arms for the poor. He was, you know, he, he's a wealthy man, mm. but he had a heart for God, mm. heart for justice. And I like, and there I was like, well, um, I was thinking then as well as like, okay, he's for except those who fear him and do what is right. But he hasn't even heard the gospel yet. Mm. No. No, that's right. So it's it was clashing, like, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So it was like, okay, the gospel is. Yeah, it's central, but it's sort of like the next step. Yeah, God, this well. is this is about his heart being, yeah. and his actions are already. In in Cornelius's case, his actions are already showing that he's got revelation he's, in yeah. his heart. Yeah, it's like oh, he already believes without mm. knowing who who to believe in. That's it. Yes, he, he's. It, Paul says something like, um, "Those who do right show that God's law is written on their hearts." Yeah. So even though he doesn't understand Jesus fully yet, um, he he is demonstration because it starts with the, the chapter starts with the angel coming and saying, um, Cornelius, uh, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Yeah. So there's something in this guy's heart that honors the Lord, and now mm-hmm. it's like, well, I'm going to bless you with the full revelation of that truth and introduce yeah. you to, to Jesus. Yeah, <clears throat> mm. uh, it's beautiful. It's yeah. a great story. Yeah. So I was like starting to think about, oh, okay, how, um, I'm going to say how stupid are we when we say, um, yeah, no, you can't until you change your ways and do steps one, two, three, four, and five, you can't come into that's, God, that's God's right. presence. That's right. It's the opposite way, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there's no, there's nothing that stops them. And in fact, that's going to go on. We're going to see that in the back, back. back part of this chapter. Peter begins to preach the gospel to them. They get filled with the Spirit and they're speaking in tongues. Yeah. It's like, can you get a better confirmation that you're in the house? And Peter will refer back to this on Acts 15 and say, if God gave them the Spirit who weren't circumcised, who was who are we, we to think yeah. that we should think that circumcision is the yeah. answer? It's like, bang, I see your heart. Peter hasn't even finished preaching. Yeah. And God's God turned up. Yeah, yeah. God interrupts. So we can't formulate salvation into some kind of Perfect knit formula and and the baptism of the spirit into perfect knit formula. God's not going to go in our boxes. In fact, he likes to bust out of our boxes, doesn't he? Yeah. So I was like, just a reminder to me and uh, yeah, that we just can't keep God in a box. Yeah, that's great, Phil. Yeah. And we can't sort of say, okay, Pentecostalism is the only way. That's right. Um, Yep. We're all, all on that same same road, same journey to the right, same end. Yep, that's right. God yep. is bigger than than our doctrinal yeah. and uh, denominational yeah. boxes that we set up. Yeah, they 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 can be useful, um, but when they become idols, yeah, they get in the way of what God will do. And God will at times like that, where God will actually go out of His way to bust out of those boxes. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. God's got a good sense of humor. He does. 
Yeah, for sure. So that's uh, yeah. So they get yeah. filled with the spirit, and that's yeah. the first Gentile conversion. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, uh, we're yeah. going to go to Acts eleven. Is it? Um, Are we skipping? Um, no, that was because yeah, um, yeah. So I was just yeah. At the end it was like yeah. Peter says, "Can anybody object to being baptized? baptized. Now they've received the Holy Spirit just as we did." It was like definitely it was like he jumped. God says, yeah, no, no, instead of being baptized, let's give you the yeah, Holy Spirit. Yeah, baptized in the Spirit before they were baptized in water in this case. That's what I mean by yeah. putting, breaking yeah. all the molds. There's no one-size-fits-all mold. Yeah. 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 That's so, right. No, that's all for all right. Acts 10. That was really hitting. Yep. Are we going to Acts 11? Yes. All right. Let's go. Okay, Acts eleven. Uh, this I love this one because yeah, this is begins off where Peter now has to justify what's he what's he's just done. He's just had to explain <laughs> it. He, you talked about yeah. him having to explain it to Simon the Tanner. Yeah, yeah. We don't. He we assume that's happened, but now he's got to explain it to the rest of them, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. So he goes back to Jerusalem, and they uh, they're not not happy to. They're not really impressed with Peter, no. are they? No, no. They start to criticize. You entered him. the home of Gentiles and even ate with them. Yeah. It's like, that's a bit How rude. How dare you? It starts to sound like the Pharisees, yeah. doesn't it? But Peter comes back and says, hey, this is God. God yeah. told me to do it. Yeah. So who can I um, who can I stand in the way of God, basically? Yeah, just re- yeah. We won't read it because yeah. it's basically no. a reiteration of what happened in the previous yeah. chapter, isn't it? He yeah. tells them a story. Yeah. And he does later in Acts 15 as well. He tells them a story of the Gentiles for the same reason. Yeah. yeah. So it's amazing. Yeah, just to read it yourselves with that yeah. one. He tells uh, the whole story and then in verse... 18. 18. Go ahead. Yep. When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. doesn't say that, um, yeah, we're given the Gentiles the privilege of being circumcised. Yeah. Uh, now, we can gloss over that statement, uh, but that, that statement is a massive earthquake of direction change yeah. for the Jewish people. It's huge. Yeah. Um, and it will continue to be throughout the rest of the New Testament. Paul will be battling with this with the Judaizers who say you have to be circumcised mm-hmm. and follow Jesus mm-hmm. and have and follow Torah. But that is the statement that is massively important. We can't. I don't think as as um, you know Gentiles who aren't kosher, we can understand or grasp the gravity of what that meant to come to that revelation that mm. you're telling me that all my religious practices that I've been raised on and told me that these things are what make me um, a God worshipper, what make me a true Jew. You're telling me that those things aren't the tick boxes that I thought they were? Yeah. Talk about up whole, upending your whole worldview. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what sort of things – well, I think maybe – well, we go through that when we become Christian. When we become Christian, we change our world. But I, I think in multi, in my life, there's been times where I was convinced I knew something, and I've lived out of it. And then um, I've had a, a a fresh revelation of some aspect of the Christian faith, and it has completely changed my definition of what Christianity is about, or what mm. faith, or what I, I remember. I remember when I first came to the revelation a few years ago that the Christian life involves um, and is, it requires a a life that is submitted to speaking up for the vulnerable and, and doing mm. justice. And that's central to the gospel. You can't have that. That was revolutionary. I had years where I just didn't, didn't even think that was anything to do with it. Yeah. It's nice to do good things for people, but that was it. But to realize 
my whole faith hangs on the fact that I am required to bring heaven to earth. Yeah. That was that was revolutionary. Maybe something similar to what these guys went through. Yeah. Is that it's not just a tick box for me. It wasn't just like, oh, okay, I've got my ticket to heaven now. It's like, no, I, now I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm I'm empowered, expected and empowered to do something with yeah. that. It's not just about what I get out of it now. Yeah. I'm now God's agent to for myself and to train and equip and lead people to bring heaven to earth mm. in their world. Mm. That was revolutionary for me. Mm. And there's been other times where I've had yeah. those sort of things as well. Yeah. It's like the um the wake up call to say that um yeah I'm I've got to give an account mm. for all the things I do. Yes, that's right. Uh, yep, I'm still going to be called yeah. to account on those things. Yeah. They may not determine my uh, status and state with God, but they do I still have to give account, account. for those things. Yeah. And I think into some recent time, just in the last few months, probably not quite to the same degree, it may become that, but my revelation around what sin is and th- seeing sin as being something that's supposed to be just a list of do's and don'ts to realizing, no, it's more than that. It's anytime I harm you, I harm the image of God in you, that's sin. Yeah. Anytime I don't honor that, even th- anytime I don't prioritize you over me, I'm missing. Cause I think it's been easy to just take list of sins and go, I'm, I'm a good person. I don't do those things. Yeah. And, and realize that that's, that's entry level, mm. entry level stuff. I'm called to, I'm called to everything in my life account. So I think maybe that's what these guys have gone through is a yeah. major revolutionary life change. And it took, Peter to explain this whole vision for yeah. that to sink in. Mm. So, yeah. yeah, no. It's, we should add, even for Peter, it didn't sink in completely, even though he's the one who first saw it, because later on we're going to see he reverts back, back to, to Judaist old. practices yeah. because um, because a few from Jerusalem show up and he he's supposed to be in Antioch with Paul and he he actually reverts backwards. Yeah, so. Yeah. It's many years later. Many years later. It's yeah. like you're still yeah. learning and figuring so, this out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, life is a journey. It is. Life's a journey. journey. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now we get into the, the more into the Gentile um, world. Yes. Um, yep. So Jerusalem's still important, still there, but now we yeah get into the the stories of Paul or Saul at that time. So he, um, it's amazing that there was some persecution after Stephen's death, and they then um, all the Christians scatter. Yep. And they start preaching the word of God. Um, some preach to the Jews, but in Antioch, some believers actually start preaching to the Gentiles. Yes. So where did, when did they get that revelation they could preach to the Gentiles? I wonder, I wonder if that's off the yeah. back of that story. I mean, yeah. it's all being put together here because he's gone back to Stephen's martyrdom. But I think the point it's trying to make is, look, there was some preaching going on. They went to Cyprus, which is just off the coast. They went to Phoenicia, which is nearly as far as Antioch mm-hmm. north up the, up the Lebanese coastline. But still they were focusing on Jews, but it, there maybe this new bunch that came out of this went, oh, actually, we need to preach this to Gentiles as well. Yeah. And they began to do that. Yeah, I think yeah. that's the narrative you want to see, that it's now progressing to become Gentiles are joining the church, not yeah. just the Jews. Mm. It says there, in the power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to yeah, the Lord. Yeah, that's a fresh revival yeah. again. Yeah. Um, and... And the Church of Jerusalem were like, well, what's going on over there? So we better send Barnabas. Barnabas, who's, um, yeah, who was anointed and teached under um, a great teacher. Um, the last time we saw Barnabas yeah. was him selling a block of land and laying it at the apostles' feet prior to, you're looking okay. at me, I think. I couldn't, I couldn't remember where. Yeah, I think prior to Ananias and Sapphira doing it. I think Barnabas yeah. is one of those guys. Oh, okay. Yeah. Was he one of the um, like the seven who was set apart to, to no, serve the I, I serve don't the people so. like Stephen? I don't think so. Oh, anyway. I may be wrong, but I don't oh. think so. I'm pretty sure that's where we see Barnabas. 
Yes. For instance, there was Joseph, one of the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the islands of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought it, the money to the apostles. That's the end of chapter four. And then chapter yeah. five is goes on to the Ananias and Sapphira story. So, yeah, so we haven't heard. From, he's obviously an apostle. He's a leader, but we haven't heard anything of him until this point. This okay. is many years later, yeah. and he appears on the scene. Yeah. yeah. Good. Um, um, but he was amazed at what was happening there um, and um, filled with joy. Yeah. Courage, courage to believers to stay true to the Lord. He was full of the Spirit, strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. So he was also still bringing more people. It yes. Wasn't, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Um, wonder if they had big banners saying, um, yeah, come see banners that I've got. <laughs> tent revival. Yeah, like tent revival days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but I love this. Is like where he, he, um, Barnabas then went to Sarsus to find Saul. Yeah. So he knew about Saul. He knew about Saul. And Saul's been ago. out 10 plus years ago. He's been out of action since the Damascus days. So he knew that these guys needed more grounding, yep. more foundation. So went and got Saul, brought him back. And they stayed there for a full year teaching a large crowds of people. Um, so it was like both of them were, were there for doing the teaching. Yeah. So. And this is no short journey. Um, if you look at a map, Antioch is halfway up the Lebanese coastline. Yeah. Tarsus is around the north in Turkey. So this is, and it's, there's quite a rugged journey. There's a pass through there, which is pretty, pretty rugged. So this is, yeah, this is a, a probably, you know, a couple of months journey to go and get him and ring him, go there and try and find him. Yeah. And bring him back. Yeah, that's right. But he knew that this guy, he goes, oh, Saul, he's the one we need. He'll, he'll yeah. handle this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just remembered Barnabas was the one who brought Saul to the apostles when he left Damascus. He brought him to Jerusalem. When Saul arrived in Jerusalem, yes. he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him, understandably. Yeah. They didn't believe he'd truly come. But Barnabas brought him to the apostles and that's said, true. yes. So yeah. Barnabas knows of him, but then sends him away for 10 years. Yeah. So, yeah. So he's got this history with Saul. Was that to, sent him away for ten years to save him because uh, otherwise yeah, he might have got, keep, got to, killed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and there's, there's definitely in this period of time he is working out his faith, as I said, and he's Christifying his faith and bringing it into the Old yeah. Testament. So by the time Barnabas goes to get him, ten plus years later, he's he yeah. is a Jewish, deeply entrenched Christian who's come to this revelation that the gent deeply convicted about the fact that the Gentiles do not need to be Jews and kosher. Yeah. That's one of the main things Paul will pick up on. Yeah. 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 Uh, I did love at the end of this um, chapter is um, that Holy Spirit was, is moving and um, uh, uh, tells them there's a big famine coming. And so the believers in Antioch decide to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem. So they heard that, okay, Jerusalem's going to be in trouble. So mm. let's provide for them. That's mission work right there, that isn't mission it? mission work. Yeah, yeah. Do good, especially to the household of God. Yeah. Yep. And Paul will pick up on this later again, and he will collect, um, make a collection for the Jews in Gen in uh, Jerusalem from um, all the Gentile yeah. churches in in around um, Macedonia. Yeah, yeah, he'll yeah. do that same principle. Yeah. So that you know, we're talking about earliest church interchurch mission work happening here. This is why we relate to other churches in you know in nationally and internationally because yeah. there's a there's a Definitely. family. We're a great big family. Mm. We see that being played yeah. out here in this. That's good. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Antioch, just to put it in perspective, Antioch is one of the five biggest town cities mm. in the Roman Empire at the time. So uh, moving from around the, from uh, anti uh, moving clockwise around the Mediterranean, you've got Rome and then 
Corinth in Greece, Ephesus mm. in Turkey, Antioch yeah. in what is now Lebanon. Or, mm. Yes, I think it's in Lebanon. And then Alexandria down in Egypt. So, yeah, well, it's a this is a big city and a big Gentile. It's one of the big marketplaces, big right on the Mediterranean yeah. coastline or just inland from the Mediterranean coastline, but a major city. And so this church is large and influential and largely Gentile. Mm. Yeah, the first Gentile church. Mm. Yeah, it, it, in, in that sense, it probably has more of a Gentile influence than a Jewish influence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah beautiful. Good. All right, where are we going? Chapter 12, we've yep. just following them one by one. Yep. Chapter 12, here we come. Okay, Acts chapter 12. Um, amazing, another part, amazing story of God having a sense of humour and working through, um, yeah, doing the miraculous. Yeah, you almost think that Luke, as he tells this story, he tells it, some of it's just so absurd. It's like he's he's winking at you with telling stories. He's just like, look how God works behind the scenes. It's almost humorous, isn't it? It is. You're going to yeah. see a bit of that in this story as well. Yeah. So this is the next part is... Um, King Herod Agrippa. Um, who is King Herod? So there's the the Herod Agrippa. Herod Agrippa. So the Herods are a, a dynasty. Um, they weren't Jews. They were um, originally they were um, Idumeans. They came. They were Edomites. Actually, talk about Edom. They were Edomites, um, which was quite insulting to the Jews. So during the time of um, during the time of the Maccabees, they mm. when the back 180 BC. The Maccabees had a period of time where they revolted against um, against uh, Greek and and uh, what's the other people down south after the after Alexander the Great's empire um, after he died it broke up into um, mm. the Ptolemies and so it broke up into two sort of di- multiple different sects but anyway they were controlling it uh, long story short he was well, this is a short story long <laughs> they uh, <laughs> they um, the Idumeans came to the came to power. And and Herod the Great, who was the Herod who built Caesarea and the temple and all that, he was he was the first of these lines, and he married into the Jewish family. He married in a lady called Mariam, who was part of the aristocracy. She was a, mm. she was from the Maccabee line. He married into her, and he managed to convince the Romans that uh, you make me king, and I'll keep them in line. Yeah. He's also a very wealthy man, one of the wealthiest men that's ever lived, and um, and so because he his family owned the spice trade, so they were very very wealthy. It's like the oil, basically think like, you know, Arab oil emirates yeah. today kind of people. That's how much money they had. And uh, so he made himself the self-confessed king of the Jews um, under Roman rule. I was allowed to do that. He died um, rather, rather viciously, basically is um, some kind of intestinal disease that was pretty nasty. He died and his sons uh, split up the te- the empire, the, his regions, and there was like a tetrarchy of four different areas. Herod Antipas was one of those sons and he ruled, he's the one who put Jesus to death. He, um, he was the Herod at the time of Jesus. And I think Agrippa, if I'm correct, Herod Agrippa might be a nephew, but he's within the f- same family line, but I don't think he's the next son down. But he um, is this new king of the Jews at the time. He doesn't have the same, doesn't have anywhere near the same amount of influence as, as um, Herod, Herod, Herod the, Great the Great did. Basically, the, the Herod that was looking, when they split the empire after Herod the Great, the Herod that was over Judea was such a bad egg that the Romans just kicked him out 
and they put in Pontius Pilate. They put in they put in their own governors in in Judea. But, okay. But Antipas still had um, Herod Antipas still had rule over Galilee. Mm. And there's another one. It's all in the book of Luke. You'll see this. So Herod Herod Agrippa is the third their generation, I guess, of yeah. the Herods. And he happens to be the one that's in this period. So this is after Jesus has died. Many years later, there's another Herod, Herod Agrippa. Yep, yep that's who he is. Yeah. Wasn't a okay. short answer, but it's good to have context. And, and Phil, Phil knows that stuff okay. anyway. He knows that he was just pretending that he didn't know when he said who's Herod. I could have got him to answer that question. He probably would have done it better and quicker. Uh, still good. Still good. Um, so this dude um, persecuted the church and um, killed... Got um, Apostle James killed, which is John and James, mm. from one of the um, one of the apostles, um, disciples of Jesus, was killed. Herod saw that was great, so he arrested Peter. Um, so there's two James. There's yeah. this James, the brother of John, and there's another James who will appear a few chapters later, who is the brother of Jesus. Half brother of Jesus. So you just yeah. get confused. You think, hang on, James is dead nuts no, because there's yeah. two different Jameses. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, this do um, Herod Agrippa. Um, Arrests Peter during Passover, and um, Herod Agrippa thought this was a good time, so I'll yeah, play it to some political. Yeah, I'll use play. it for political gain. Yeah, it went well. The Jews yeah. liked the fact that I killed him, so let's see, yeah. see how far we can mm. run with it. Yeah. Um, so places I'm under guard with four squads of four soldiers each. So that's sixteen. Um, sixteen soldiers. Guard, sixteen soldiers. For one dude. One dude. Um, must have been thinking, yeah, what's going on? Um, like, why? Yeah, let's keep this person really under control. But God had better plans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I like this. In verse 5, it says, Well, Peter was in prison. The church prayed very earnestly for him. So, yeah, the power of prayer works. Intercession so prayer. Yeah. Don't think for a moment that our intercessory prayer doesn't make a difference. Yeah. This shows us it does. Yeah. Sometimes you'll see the results, sometimes you won't. Mm. But it all goes up before the Lord is incense. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> And the amazing thing is Peter, after this, he was, um, the night before his trial, he was asleep. <laughs> uh, He's pretty cool, calm, collected, yeah, isn't he, Pete? Yeah. He sort of knows that God's in control of this regardless of what happens. Um, and he was chained between two soldiers. Other guards were out the prison gate and the angel comes and um, kicks him in the side and says, wake up. Wake up. Um, what are you doing sleeping? Yeah. yeah. Um, get dressed. We're, go- we're going for a walk. Um, but the funny, this is where I still love God's got a sense of humor. It's like Peter walks out of the prison and he thinks that I'm having a dream. Yes. He thinks he's having a dream and he's actually physically walking out of the prison. It's a miracle. He thinks it's, it's a vision. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm just thinking about the fact the last time Pete fell asleep was in the garden of Gethsemane. I wonder if yeah. Luke's got some intention there of linking mm. the two together that last time he was falling asleep because of exhaustion and fear. This time he's just, he's falling asleep and there's zero fear and he's True. in prison. Yeah, what a what a change, yeah. what a transformation. Mm. Yes. Oh wow, yeah, I hadn't thought of those. No, ones. that's yeah. just c- occurred yeah. to me now. Um, yeah, and I must add, it's also another sense of humour is where well, guy, angels walking him down the street and all of a sudden the angel disappears yeah. and Peter goes, "Where oh. am I?" <laughs> he goes exactly. He goes. Oh, I thought it was a dream. Oh, I'm really oh. here. Okay, yeah. all right. What do I do now? Well, well, yeah. Okay, the angel's gone. I'll just I'll just go back to John Mark's house. <laughs> finally, come to, Peter finally comes to his senses. Oh, it's really true. Yeah, it really did happen. <laughs> it wasn't just a vision. Um, and it says, um, yeah, Lord sent his angel to save me from Herod and from what the Jewish pe- leaders had planned to do for me. Um, 
which, yeah, uh, well, that's a real wake-up call. Yeah. Um, but he goes to the house and knocks on the door. and the <laughs> More people funny story. <laughs> and the girl comes to the door. Rhoda comes, she's the servant girl answering the door. She comes to the door, knocks on the door. Um, and she and try opens to, the door. Comes to, um, yeah, comes to open the door, recognises Peter's voice and was so excited she forgot to let him in. <laughs> she shuts is. the door and runs back inside. <laughs> oh, oh, it's almost comical, isn't it? Oh. It's like, what? Oh, <laughs> slam the door, go back inside. <laughs> Peter's at the door. You feel like, oh, why didn't you flip and let him in? <laughs> but they don't, but they, they don't believe her. They, they say he must be an angel. But yeah. the other point was all these guys were still awake. They were praying. They were praying, yeah. So it's and it also awesome. shows me that they are praying for his release, but they still don't really expect his yeah. release. So I think that should tell us something about our prayers. We don't, you know, we make this big thing about the prayer of faith, and yes, we should have. And I know there's arguments around we, you know, believe that we've received it and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's true, but I think the grace of God still meets us where we're at. There are times where we go, oh, I really want this to happen, Lord. I want to believe this. It's almost like that, um, you know, the, the, the father who's, Son keeps throwing me in the fire. Lord, I want to believe. Help me with my unbelief. Yeah. And I think God is God will meet us where we're at, even if we are wrestling through um, doubts or uncertainties. The point was, you were right. They were up yeah. late at night praying for Peter. They were doing what they could do, and God met them. Yeah, it's um, great. It I haven't is. thought about the fact that they were up praying because this is late at night. Yeah, this never occurred to me. Yeah, the night before they know he's going to die tomorrow. And they're not giving up. Wow. Yes. Yeah. I just weren't expecting it to be answered quite this way, probably. Um, They're probably praying that he just get a gripper and just give him a, a reprieve, pass, a pass. A pass. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I weren't expecting yeah. he'd walk, go, yeah. walk in the house in the middle of the night. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, that's, yeah. Wow. Which once again shows us God doesn't always answer the prayers the way we think True. they should be answered, but they're always answered the way he, he, wants th- he knows he is best. Yeah. 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 Um, so Peter tells him that, yeah, this is what's happened. Um, and then he goes to another place. So it's like, he must have, oh, I'm going to go hiding, go, yep. and hide, go and hide. Um, cause there's a big commotion the next day where the soldiers in the prison. Sucks to be one of those 16 soldiers, hey? Yeah. Cause they all get their head chopped off. Mm, yeah. They uh, copped it from Herod, didn't they? Yeah. Mm. Um, it's a problem, yeah. you know, causing... You know the the ramifications for these soldiers is terrible, and Herod's yeah. guilt that Herod's their blood is on Herod. Yeah, yeah. Interesting point there is like it's just in line of were you telling us who which Herod's Herod and all that yep. sort of stuff, and who's in control? It says Herod afterwards. Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while, and that just reminded me listening to some podcasts about okay, yes, um, Herod and all that were okay, supposed to be in charge of Judea, like Jerusalem. But there was so much turmoil and all that that they would never set foot in there. Really, no, they, they he was only there for the Passover. Like the plague, if they could, yeah. yeah. And so his actual residence was in Caesarea. And Caesarea is uh, cooler in the summer, yeah. warmer in the winter. It's on the Mediterranean coast. Jerusalem is up in the hills, so it's a hotbed of activity. It's a hotbed of religious potential religious violence. They, they, you're exactly right. They, yeah. they built Caesarea. It, there was no city there. King Herod built it and named yeah. it after Caesar. Um, and it's a beautiful place. It's Mediterranean beach climate, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's magnificent. You could be in the Greek Isles. It's not that different. Um, so you can see why it's much more comfortable lifestyle. So it's, it's a bit like living in Wollongong compared to living in Camden, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that dig, Phil. Yes, right. <laughs> uh, you don't know what it's cold. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, it's pretty cold out my way. Not as cold as Camden. Uh, 
So, yeah, so that's that was interesting. So he left Judea. Left to, Judea to go yeah, back to so Caesarea I've, for a while. I've yep. done my duty. Yep, I've done what I had to do. And now I'm out of there. Yep. Uh, and next part is he gets worms. Yeah, this is almost like this mm. written to be a judgment yeah. upon him for his treatment but, of Peter yeah. and the fact that, he, you know, the no. consequences of the execution of these soldiers and all that kind of stuff. Yep. Mm. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, justice is... Justice is served. So what had happened, and this this is, this is I've, I think, I'm, if I'm right, Josephus talks about this particular event. This is this has extra biblical, okay. um, there's a couple of times where there's extra biblical evidence of these sorts of things. So, yeah, something had happened with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon are not their towns in modern-day Lebanon. They're north of yeah. they're north of, um, of Israel, up north of Galilee. Um, so something had happened, and there was this peace delegation, and they obviously made some kind of reconciliation with Tyre and Sidon. Um, and, but as a result of that, it went to Herod's head, and he thought he was the, pe- the chief of the peace delegate and all that sort of stuff, and that they started to worship him. And this is the voice of a God, not of a man. They yeah. started to worship him, and he wasn't, as the king of the Jews, he should have been pointing to the Lord, sure, and he yeah. wasn't. And the end result of that was worms and sickness, just yeah. like his great-grandfather or whatever it was. Yeah. Yep, great-uncle. Hmm. But the ending is really good because it says, Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread. Yeah. There are many new believers. And when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem to hand over the, the funds, yep. they returned, taking John Mark with them. Yep. Um which I was like, oh, that's John Mark who travels with them. Yes, um, and this at is some point. Uh, yes, and this yeah. is John Mark who is most likely a cousin of. If I get this right, I think that the the likelihood is that Barnabas and John Mark and Peter are all related in some way. Mm. So Peter goes to John Mark's house. I don't know what yeah. the reasoning is for that, but I think Barnabas and John Mark are probably cousins. Yeah. Um. And he's from Cyprus as well. I think John Mark's from this is John. I think the scholars say this is John. This is John Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. Yeah, and that's that's yeah. the link is that John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, and Mark's Gospel is really Peter's Gospel. It's written uh, as though it was Peter. It's Peter's okay. reflections yeah. on the story. I think that's how the scholars yeah. piece it all together. Yeah. There'll be there'll be a whole lot of yeah. that won't be water one hundred percent watertight, but that's. That's what I understand the general yeah, direction yeah. scholars go with it. Yeah, because yeah. I was listening. Then it just I was like, oh, Peter um, went to John Mark's house, but then it was Saul and Barnabas yes. uh, take John Mark. And I think that's because Barnabas is related yeah. to them as well. Yeah, it's I a family connection. The, there. I never saw the connections. Yeah, I, I'm, you have yeah. to Google it. You got to find it. But I'm pretty sure there's a family connection yeah. with Barnabas and Peter. Yeah, because I was saying, yeah. okay, Peter. Yeah, he does his job over here, and Saul and Barnabas do their job yeah. over here, and okay, occasionally they make. Meet, but I didn't realize the beginnings. Yeah, and there's more connection. More connection. There's more connection. Well, Saul's the one who doesn't have the connection. Barnabas, yeah. Pete, John, Mark actually have the family connection. I think mm. that's how it works. But yeah. because Barnabas has this other connection with Saul, that brings him into Indeed. the equation. Yeah. yeah. Keep it in the family. Keep it in the family. All right. So we're going to go to number, chapter 13, 13 now. Yes. Okay, Acts chapter 13. Um, so this is where Barnabas and Saul are commissioned to go on Paul's first missionary journey. So it's quite interesting. Um, it says uh, um, now they're in a church at Antioch of Syria. Is so that the same Antioch? This is the, this is the original Antioch. Antioch. This is Antioch of Syria. 
because that region, that north mm. region, the Roman province north of the region of Galilee is actually the region of Syria. So this is Lebanon, what is modern-day okay. Lebanon. That's where that Antioch is. Mm. There's another Antioch we'll be introduced to okay. in a few moments, which is in Turkey, a different Antioch. Yeah, mm. yeah. that's how they clarify which one they're talking about here. Yeah. Um, so this is where um, they're still worshipping the Lord, fasting, and praying. Yeah. So they're st- they've uh, been in the Antioch church for, what does it well, say, a year year of preaching and teaching? Year. Yeah, that's right. Well, they were there for a year before they went down before to Jerusalem. They, before they went so to Jerusalem, they've come back again. So this is their, very much their home church, yes. Yeah. And so, this, this town is still there today. It's called Antiochia. No, it's yeah. not. Uh, yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah, something like that, I think. Yeah. Antiochia. Well, haven't been there yet. No, a bit hard to get to. It's in Lebanon, about 15 kilometers from the Syrian border. It's probably not a super safe place to go. (laughs) Yeah. One day. One day. Uh, Yeah. Well, we can say, get your um, son-in-law to take us. He'll give us a safe passage. Yeah, he'll give us a safe passage. Yep, Nick (laughs) Nick can do that. Yeah. Um, So fasting and prayer, men laid their hands on them and sent Paul and Barnabas, um, Barnabas and Saul at this point, on on their journey. And you'll see at some point that they actually switch roles, that it's not Barnabas first, but yep. Saul first. Yep, that's right. So, And yeah. Saul will change his name to Paul. Well, he adopts the Gentile version of his name yeah. because he's now starting to preach to Gentiles. So you'll see that's why he does it essentially. It's still the same. It's just a Gentile version of Saul. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so um, they were sent out by the Holy Spirit, um, went down to Cyprus um, and went into a Jewish synagogue. Yep, um, and preached the word of God, and John Mark was with them as their assistant. So John Mark's tagging along. Mm-hmm. Um, must be the, I don't know, the luggage carrier. Yeah, he's the he's the um, person that's he's like the Elisha to the Elijahs. Yeah. He he's just uh, learning and yeah. supposed to be learning the ropes by serving and oh. staying close. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Um, and then they go to Paphos. 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 Something. Yep. Uh, uh, Paphos. 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 Yeah. Paphos. I think Paphos. Uh, yeah. And speaking to the governor, um, invited them to um, preach. And um, but yeah, there was a Jewish sorcerer. I just realised he was Jewish. I thought yes, he, I he was, was Jewish, Jewish sorcerer. sorcerer. Yep. So, which is a contradiction in and of itself, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. The Old Testament. If they were a sorcerer, they should have been. They should have been killed, executed. Yeah. So I don't uh, know enough about what's going on there. He's definitely got some kind of weird pagan thing happening, even though he's a Jew. Yep. Yeah. Um, um, Hence he's a false prophet. Yeah. Um, he was named by Jesus, but then also says, but um, Elimus. Well, that was his Greek that name. That was his Greek name, name. yeah. Yeah. Um, so Attached himself to the governor. You know what I think of? I think of um, the the guy in, that attaches himself to the king of Rohan in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. He's like, he's just weaseled his way in there, slyly manipulated his way into a position of power. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got the governor underneath his. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, isn't the governor's name Sergius Paulus? Saul has the same name, Paul. Oh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, It's the same name, Paulus. That's just how you pronounce it in Greek, Paulus. Okay. That's interesting. Um, Mm. I don't know. So they weren't, they weren't I don't know if that's just a coincidence or there's meaning in that. Uh, or they just weren't this... invent, inventive of different names. Yeah, that's right too. Yeah. Everyone's John Smith. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but this bloke was trying to stop the governor from believing. So Saul, also known as Paul. So he, it's almost like, he, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Mm. Um, 
filled with the Holy Spirit, looked the sorcerer in the eye. I like that. Yeah, uh, stared him down. Stared him down. And he wasn't intimidated. No, basically you uh, stop perverting the true ways of the Lord and the God's going to punish you by, um, yeah, blinding you. Uh, and Isn't that ironic? Because yeah. that's exactly what happened to him. Yeah. He's now experienced, he's passing on that blindness the same way that he experienced that blindness, yeah. but it doesn't seem to have the same result in this guy as it did in Paul. Yeah. yeah. It says you will not see the sunlight for some time, so it wasn't like a you'll be permanently blind. No. Or, so he was like yeah. giving him a bit of, what's the word? Um, okay. Well, if you change your ways. Yeah. We well, had to knock him so down a few rungs because remember his power, he's using power and influence yeah. and magic and all. He's using, in some way, he's using power, magic as a means to an end. Yeah. And that's often what pagan religions did. They they thought the magic spells and all that were a way to manipulate the gods for their own personal gain. And it's like he has to come down a rung or two and realize, hey, you know, you don't control yeah. the gods. Yeah. You you come underneath Yahweh. You come yeah. underneath the Lord Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So it's God. And so when the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer for he was astounded at the teaching about the Lord. Mm. So he saw that miracle. The he saw the blindness blind miracle. And so, and was astonished at the teaching. Wow, that's a good thought. Yeah. yeah. It's good. Something yeah, in what Paul has taught has blown his mind. Ah. Yeah. Uh, we don't know what that is, I don't think. I don't, later, on we, later on in Acts, we'll see a pattern that Paul uses, but we don't know. This is his sort of first first outing. Yeah. <laughs> this is the beginning of his missionary journey. and um, uh, But I think it's fair to say that for, for all the reasons I just said, they would have been taught, he, especially under someone like <clears throat> uh, under something like um, well, Bar- Simon Bar-Jesus, what Bar-Jesus was doing, it would have been very manipulative and, and pagan was very fear-oriented. And if you appease the gods enough and you do enough, you yep. can – bend them to your will. And along comes Jesus, Paul preaching about Jesus. And it's the complete opposite of that. It's attractive yeah. um, because it's less incumbent. Uh, it's more about grace. You don't have to do anything. Tick all the boxes. You don't tick boxes. Yeah. You're, you, you, God's got a good plan for your life. God's on that to get you. I can see why that's attractive and astonishing. It's, it's, you know, in the same way that the concepts of the Jews of the Gentiles could be saved was astonishing. The concept of salvation by grace was in equally astonishing to um, to pagans as well. Yeah, well, it's yeah. to to everybody. To everybody, because really. it's, it's the only where the only religion that is a, more of a grace. Yes, correct. Religion than yep. everything else is. I've got to do something. Yep, that's right. Uh, yeah, I wonder if that's probably what the astonishment was. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, well, when we get to heaven, we can ask him. Yes, yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, go around saying, "Excuse me, are you? Um, well, are you Sergius Paulus?" <laughs> Can I find a Sergius Paulus here? I've got a question for you. Why were you astonished? Um, I'm getting back to Monty Python to the kids again. It's getting late in the day. What time? It's like eight o'clock at night, guys. We've been recording. I've been recording podcasts since about two o'clock this afternoon. Um, not with me though. Not with oh, you, yeah. Phil. Yeah, no. but it's all good. So, yeah. So, yeah. After that, Paul and his companions um, jump on a ship and go to Perga. Um, and this is where John Mark leaves them and returns to Jerusalem. Yes. I was like, hmm, listen, did, did they have a falling out at some point? Uh, no. The, the, Who imp- was it that had the falling out? Barnabas and Paul have a falling out over this issue. Mm. Um, That's what I was thinking. Yes, it will come later. I think the implication is more that maybe John Mark as a young guy feels this isn't what it was cut out for. 
he feels maybe it's a bit too intimidating. Maybe it's not what he expected. It's going to be, there's going to be, it's going to be a hard road. It's going to be suffering. Yeah. Maybe he got a bit homesick if he's just a young boy. So these are the kinds of things I think that happened. So he, he shot through yeah. and went home yeah. again. And Paul didn't handle that very well, to be honest. No. But I think, I often think Barnabas was much more compassionate than, than, than Paul was on mm. this. Mm. Now we will find out many, many, many years later that there's obviously some kind of reconciliation because yeah. he'll call for John Mark to come yeah. um, much later. But, this, this was a very painful moment for Paul. He he felt let down by this, yes. Mm. But I don't mm. think it's I don't think it's anything sinister. I think it was no. probably just more. It got the going got tough, and he says, "I'm not cut out for this." Yeah. Um, which is yeah. Um, it's probably like a lesson for us is like how do we, yeah, well, respond? Like are, yeah. are we John Mark? Are we Paul? Are yeah. we Barnabas. Sometimes we're John Mark and we run. What happens when we have people in our yeah. connect groups and our church that just go, "This is all too hard." And run. I, I always yeah. want to not respond the way Paul did. Yeah. Um, I think Paul let this get to him probably more than it should have. There'll be other yeah. people who have different disagreements. There are other people who have different perspectives and think that Barnabas was in the wrong. But and it might be a personality yeah. thing. But I just I just love people and I just think, you know, if they're not ready, they're not ready. Yeah. Don't be hard on them. Yeah. Give them another chance. And obviously that's what happened. Yeah. He grew. Yeah. 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 So I found that was interesting. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, <clears throat> and interesting when Paul goes to and Barnabas, and well, now it's actually Paul and Barnabas, not Barnabas and Paul. So yes, it's really there's a, change, a switch here. Really yep. change. That's right in the leadership. Usually, that's what happens when they name the first person. Yeah. Uh, that's the per, the senior partner in yeah. the arrangement, and that's why um, you'll see Aquila and Priscilla, na- Priscilla and Aquila named. Uh, it's implied. Right. Normally, it should be man and woman. It's yeah. pr- woman and man. Yeah. So it would appear that Priscilla is also the senior yeah. of the two. Yeah, yeah, which is a woman in yeah. leadership there. So same yeah. argument. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's in the, now it's like this is where you get to see Paul. Um, his normal and their normal routine is first of all, let's go on the Sabbath. They go to the synagogue. Yep. Start with services. the Jews. Um, in this NLT, it says the Sabbath went they, on the Sabbath. They went to the synagogue for the services, plural. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, they have a morning and afternoon service. I assume so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yep. Or a eight o'clock and ten o'clock. Yeah, that's right. A Six p.m. service, <laughs> your youth service in the afternoon. Yeah, who knows? And the family service. Yep. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of interesting. Um, after the usual readings of the books of Moses and the prophets, they sent a message saying, please, yeah, give us a word of encouragement. Yeah. And that was quite a, a common, common practice. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. For visitors to get, yep. yeah, to get a invited. chance to speak. Yeah. Um, so Paul gives them the, the whole rundown yep. of. He gives them the nation gospel. of Israel. Yeah. Um, yep. Abraham, Exodus, David, Jesus. And I loved that, and it was um, um, oh, what was it? Verse twenty-three, and it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised saviour. I say of David, Israel. Abraham, Exodus, David, exile, Jesus. Jesus. That's I missed yeah. one. Abraham. He normally follows this. Starts with the people of Israel. Yeah. Speaks about the Exodus. Speaks about um, David, when Moses is linked in with the Exodus, yep. and then and then the exile, and then Jesus. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it's like how they sort of, yeah, it's like David, a son of Jesse, and after a man of my own heart, um, and saying, yeah, leading straight into, yeah, this is King David's descendants, Jesus. Yes. He was it. God's promised saviour. Yep. So it's definitely preaching to the, the Jews who are after their saviour. Absolutely. It's They're pre- he, he's preaching to, to the Jews. Jews yeah. He's yeah. in the synagogue, for goodness yeah. sake. So, yes, he's preaching to the Jews. Yeah. Um, so, um, 
Where's it further down? Yeah, so he does very similar to what Stephen does in Acts 7. He just basically reiterates the whole story. That's which you understand yep. if he's preaching to Jews that they know their story, they know it, they've grown up with it. And he's trying to put Christ in the story. So, yeah. And he talks about Christ um being yeah, convicted by um the the Jews didn't like him, so they got him um executed even though they couldn't do it. They yep. weren't allowed to do it, so they got Pilate to do yep. it. Um and he rose again and um appeared to people from Galilee to Jerusalem. Of those people have gone with him, and now we are his witnesses. And here uh, we are telling you about it. it. Yeah, yeah. And so he, he basically does the full so, account all yeah. the way through the story. Yeah, yeah. This is a question I wanted to ask: was it says um, in thirty two? It's now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise was made to our ancestors, to the Jewish ancestors, and God has fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus: "You are my son. Today I have become your father." Mm-hmm. Um, is that a Star Wars reference? <laughs> Jesus, I am your father. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I need to uh, look. I need to do this because I haven't done this one for a long time. We have to find this one. Jesus, no, it didn't work. Oh, hang on. Jesus, no, it's not working. It works for you, but not for me. You'll have to do it. Jesus, I am your father. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it worked. <laughs> I'll turn it off now. Otherwise, you'll keep talking like that. Now, that would yeah. have been fun through trying to do a whole sermon, <laughs> preach a whole <laughs> podcast like that. Oh, Genie. This is God. Yeah. I'm very impressed with your revelation. Um, yes, that's right. It's a reason a Star Wars yeah. reference. Psalm 2. This is a re- Psalm 2 is actually a reference to the Lord said to my Lord. It's a da- Psalm of oh. David. Yeah, it's ref- and prophetically speaking about Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So why does it say today I've become your father? And it's like, you were my son. Like, okay, saying yep. to David, you're my, like, yeah, I just was a bit it's, confused with that. Uh, it's prophetically speaking. In its first instance, it's David as writing it about his, what he feels the Lord has said to him mm-hmm. um, in that, uh, you know, he's become the king. But but Hebrews, Jesus will pick up on it. This, this gets quoted by Jesus. It gets quoted by Paul here in Acts, it also gets quoted by the writer to the Hebrews. This is a quite a common okay. psalm. And um, and and in Jesus' sense, he actually says, it wasn't really right. Did David really write that about himself? Because he says, the Lord said to my Lord, Lord sit at my right hand. He has this context, this understanding that um, that it was it was a, about a prophetic one. And the, the writer to the Hebrews will pick up on this mm. and say, it's more talking about um, when he fulfills his mandate as Messiah. When he comes into the world, okay. the father says, you are my son. Because he says that this is my son. Who, it says twice. The father says at his baptism, this is my son. Listen to him. Yep. And on the mountain of transfiguration, okay. this is all riffing this Psalm 2. Okay, up. I didn't realize Psalm two. Yeah, yeah, so that's, it's this whole, it's this mandate that you, it's a Messiah claim. Okay. And it's, yes, Jesus was always the eternal son of God, but in as much as he comes into the world, and fulfilled this um, role as Messiah, he has become the father. The, the Lord has become his father. He's become the father's son. Okay. Yeah. And I didn't do a very good job of referencing that, but there's a lot of um, Jewish heritage. And it would be to do with the understanding of Psalm 2. By the time the second temple period mm. comes around, they have developed a rich theology of Messiah that includes numbers of these past Psalms and of Isaiah especially are deeply okay. involved in their, yep. their messianic expectations. Okay. Yep. Good. Good. Um, what else is there? Um, 
So it goes through Jesus, um, yeah, um, being raised from the dead and and another thing of David where he's um, where it's like you will not allow your holy one to rot in the grave and so it's not David because David dies. Mm-hmm. So it's, yep. this is Jesus. Yep. And um, it says, brothers, listen, in verse 38, we are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something the law of Moses could never do. Mm. That's powerful. It is. Yeah. And that's revolutionary to them. Yeah. Uh, you need to go back and listen to, uh, you know, uh, our podcast on on sin and atonement and all that sort of stuff. And we, we'll be talking about this kind of stuff a mm. lot as to the, the powerlessness of the law. Yeah. 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 Which was revolutionary to them because they thought the law, they were saved by keeping the law. Yeah. 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 I just love that. It's like everyone mm. who believes in him is made right in God's sight. Yeah, that's right. You're made yeah. right. right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You don't have fundamental to, message of the gospel. Yeah. yeah. So you don't have to do anything. No. Nope. The gospel is done, not do. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it was a good. Uh, yeah. yeah good. And they did get some results. It says, yeah. uh, verse 42, they left the synagogue that day. The people begged them to speak again on these things. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue. And then Paul turns to the Gentiles. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Verse, Just because it didn't go down so well the following no, week, did it? No. But I must say, the whole, the, in, almost the entire city turned out yeah. to hear them preach. Yeah. Wow, that must have been, yeah, mm. revolutionary with what they were saying. Yes. Sort of thing. To gather so yeah. many people together. Yeah. Um, but there, yeah, but the Jews weren't too happy with it. No. Um, and begins yeah. a pretty serious persecution. So this is Antioch of Pisidia. So this is actually in the Turkish border now. Oh, okay. So they've, this one. they've yep. gone, they've gone west from Antioch in Syria out to, for sail out to the island of Cyprus. Then they've gone almost due north up yep. to Turkey, up to, okay. um, up to the southern Turkish, the Mediterranean Turkish coastline yep. on the south, south yep. of the Turkish coastline. Okay. Well, this is, I must, I do love this part now where it's like, um, it's, um, that the Jews were arguing with Paul and Paul and Barnabas spoke it boldly and declared it was necessary for we to first preach the word of God to you Jews, but since you rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of internal life, we will offer it to, we'll the, offer Gentiles. It to the Gentiles. Yeah, it's almost tongue-in-cheek, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It'd be like shaking the dust of yeah. your feet, yeah. sh- shaking the, the dust off your shoes. Yeah. And for the Lord gave us this command when he said, I've made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. Yeah. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message and all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. Mm. That's another like tongue in cheeks. Like, yep. well, well, you weren't chosen. Na, 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 na. Yeah, that's right. Um, you weren't. It was, it's like you had your chance and you've missed it. Yeah. But God will not be hindered because he will go ahead and do it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. It was like, yeah. Yep. God knows who's. Who's coming? God knows whose are his, and yeah. he and he they will they will come about. Yep, mm. yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and you said um, like sh- shaking the dust from the feet. Well, that's what they did. In that's what they did. Verse fifty-one. Okay, they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. Yep, and the believers were filled with joy with the Holy Spirit. Yep, um, they moved uh, on. Yeah, and continued their mission. So we didn't talk about what missionary journeys were. Paul no. does three missionary journeys. Um, a good way to read the book of Acts is actually to just Google missionary map. And I often just, when I'm going through Acts, um, I just Google one, find Paul's missionary journeys. There's a nice colorful one. I just screenshot yeah. it and leave it in my phone. And I refer to it as I'm listening or reading. Uh, it just helps to see some geography and see where Paul's going. 
because this is not part of the country. We're not necessarily familiar with this, but Paul's missionary journeys take him um, mainly through Turkey and Greece. His first one is largely uh, just in the where we Cyprus and Turkey and back to Antioch. His next one, he'll extend up and go into Macedonia and up to Northern Greece, what is modern day Northern Greece and down to Athens and then back again. Um, And his third one will be, uh, his third one will be on his trip to Rome. I think. So uh, it's just good to have, it's just helpful to put perspective mm. on where he is and what's going on. Mm. Yeah. Well, I must have also did that when I was reading through um, 1 Samuel, is looking up the, looking yeah, at the place names, trying yeah. to find where um, the knob is. Yep. Um, and all the other. It's mark. a really old, it's still very popular website, but it's never been updated. It's almost looked like Windows 95 graphics. It's called Bible place names or something, but if you just okay. Google, if you just Google Bible place names and the Old Testament Bible place names, you will often pull up these maps. They look like, yeah, really weird, cheap okay. graphics, but they, they're useful. Yeah. 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 They'll often be the ones that'll come up. All right. So we've okay. got one to go, have we? Yes. Okay. Acts, Acts 14. 14. Here we go. We're in the home stretch, Phil. Yes, yes. Acts fourteen. Um, but in saying that, we yeah we were in the home stretch, but these guys were not. No, uh, no, they well, were at the end of the, pa- the, 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 end of the, the passage. They finished their first missionary they, journey. Yes, yes. So uh, yeah, they're yep. on they're on the home stretch. Mm. So Paul and Barnabas they um, they do the same thing again in Iconian. They go to the Jewish synagogue to preach. Um, with such power, and, but there was still a oh, great number of Jews and Greeks became believers. However, there's Jews, some still Jews, Jewish still resistance, like isn't there? Yes. Yep. Um, and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. I've got here um, yep. some of the Jews, yeah, poisoned the minds. Um, but the apostles stayed there a long time, so they were. Yeah, they were really, obviously getting some traction. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Preaching some boldly. places they didn't get traction, but in this one they did. Yep. Yeah. Preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. Yeah. So, great. So they just didn't sort of say, oh, this is Jesus. No, and, and I think this. that God grace message is back to what we saw with Sergius Polis back in, mm. I think that that's, that's the attractiveness of this message. Mm. And it is today. The attractiveness of the message is this grace that we are saved by grace. It's the undeserved favor of God. Yes. Yeah. Um, and the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. Uh, you can... I wouldn't say you can try and hit somebody over the head with, until you're black and blue in the faith, um, f- face, but it's the it's the it's a miraculous sign of God that changes people's yes. hearts. Yes, and sometimes that'll be a physical miracle. Yeah. Sometimes that's the the miracle of their heart. Sometimes it's answer to prayer in other areas. But yes, God wants to partner with humans, and yeah. and so we shouldn't rule out His miraculous. Mm. Always remember, I'm reading the book um, from Jackie Pullinger, um, Chasing the Dragon. So she was a um, lady from England who was told to go. Went to Hong Kong? She it? went to Hong Kong yeah. to the um, the walled city that was basically, it was where all the triodes and the, and the no brothels and, brothels and yeah. no, no police, no, no, wouldn't go there. No. And um, she was going around and saying to people, Jesus loves you basically in Mandarin yeah. and was trying to preach the gospel and was having no effect until she got baptised in spirit and spoke in tongues. And then after a period of speaking in tongues, she would go up and just say to the people, Jesus loves you, and they would break down crying. Just there was it's a change. change. There was a supernatural the, component. Yeah. The time yeah. was right. Yeah. 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 So instead of just hitting people over the head, she was like she was in partnership with yeah. the Holy Spirit to do right. do the work. Which is how God wants us to be. We're called yeah. to be in partnership. Good. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Mm. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but 
Yeah, I must admit, I'm glad I'm not. Hopefully, God will not call me to be a Paul and Barnabas because I don't really want to be constant persecution, constant persecution of being stoned and um, yeah, left for dead. Sounds like the old "Please don't send me to Africa." I don't think what I've got what it takes. I'm just a man. I'm not Tarzan. I don't like lions, gorillas, or snakes. <laughs> I'll serve you here in suburbia in my comfortable middle class life. Yeah. But please don't send me out into the bush where the uh, natives are restless at night. Isn't that that's such a, cool lyrics? That's, <laughs> it's brilliant. Uh, so, yeah. But then again, don't sort of say, I will never do something. I'll never do God something. Because no, God no. might, yeah. He's you got should Google ideas. that song, folks. He goes yeah. on and says, I'll even stack and wash the chairs and the communion cups and all kinds <laughs> of stuff if he doesn't have to go on the mission field. It's a hilarious uh, song. <laughs> um, but, yeah, um, when people, like any opposition, people, um, yeah, they, they get opposition so they, yeah, end up leaving those towns. They've done what they've done. Yes, done the that's job right. they could. Yep. Um, so, so there's a mixture at all times. There's a there's a mixture of fruit and persecution. Yeah. That's the pattern we see here in mission yeah. work. Anytime we share, there'll be fruit and there'll be persecution, and we have to get comfortable with yeah. both. Yeah. yeah, don't let the persecution stop us because there will be fruit. But just because there's persecution doesn't mean we're outside of God's will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so they come to another town, um, and this is where they come upon a cripple. A man with crippled feet yeah. who never walked, never walked crippled by birth, yep. and he was listening to Paul preach. So it's like, don't disregard people who are yeah, great. disabled or whatever. They still can be yep. come to church. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Paul, God delights in in um, reaching vulnerable people. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and kids. You know, anyone is in that vulnerable category. There was something here at Thrall on Sunday. Uh, uh, Pastor Jeff was preaching. And there was a conversation. I don't remember the context now, but one of the kids was listening to every word that he said. Yeah. 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 Um, and this dude looked straight at Paul. Um, straight at Paul. Yep. And Paul realized he had the faith to be healed. Um, and Paul called him, uh, called to him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. That's, um, that's a miracle. That's an amazing miracle. Yep. Um, Question I want is: Well, have people taken these this scripture out of context, and like of um, that Paul realized he had the faith to be healed, and like twisted it to say to people, "Oh, okay, you didn't get healed, you don't have enough faith." Ah, uh, so turn the opposite around. Turn it the opposite. Okay, that's that's a good question because yeah, some of the extreme hyper faith movement will say that. I definitely don't think that's what it's saying. I think no. these are miracles for a reason. They're yeah. rare. Um, and I've even I've even changed, not, not changed, I always believe God can heal, but I've come to a realization that within the scriptures uh, there are distinct miracles. This isn't like every every everywhere, every person Paul, every crippled person Paul got to were healed. It was like these were little signs of the coming kingdom that were used to initiate the most important response, which was, the advancement of the gospel and people becoming Jesus followers. So, um, you know, I don't think you should then extend it to say that anybody who didn't receive healing in the room was, you know, didn't have faith. I don't think that's the point. I think that's turning the thing upside down from what it really is saying. Mm. Okay. I'm just... uh, Just want to make sure that, yeah, I don't walk down that road and... Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, um, So... This was interesting because, okay, they, this person got healed and all of a sudden the crowd went ballistic and thought that they were gods. And yeah, they went the opposite way. Opposite way. And 
Paul and Barnabas were like, no, no, this is, hey, I'm st- I'm st- we're still human. Yes. Um, I was wondering if it's like, okay, was it partly because um, they were speaking to a crowd that um, are like in another language, like so from a different dialect or sort of thing. So it was like these people just saw these and they jumped to the conclusion that these guys, that Paul and Barnabas were gods um, because it was a different um, there was when he s- Paul, they shouted in their local dialect. I think Paul would have been speaking, they would have been speaking Greek. Yeah. So Greek is the common language across okay, the yeah, area. About that. Okay. So they're speaking Greek, which Paul would have known, but then they get ecstatic and they see this miracle and they go back to their local dialect language, yep. whatever their local language was, or whether that's a dialect of Greek, but it's more likely that it's not coined Greek. It's actually their local language. And then they get into their whole ritual pagan thing. But these are Greek gods. They're worshipping yeah. Zeus and Hermes, and it just yeah. simply says, it's just like they've seen a miracle. They don't know what to do with it. They fit it into their context. That's how yeah. it starts. Well, okay, Paul, Hermes is the one who's doing all the speaking. Zeus is the father of all the gods, but he's probably, I don't know about Greek mythology, I, no, a reasonable amount of it. I imagine yeah. Zeus is the father of the gods, probably didn't speak. He had you know lackeys speak for him, so he probably goes, well, but Barnabas is not doing any talking, Yeah. so let's just go, Zeus is, Zeus is Barnabas and... Paul is Hermes. Hermes yeah. yeah. And they think that, and that's not an uncommon belief that the gods would manifest themselves as in humanoid form, in, in yeah. human apparition form. That's, that was standard pagan okay. belief. Yeah. 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 So Paul and Barnabas, they you know, stopped doing it. Um, we're just human beings. Um, turn to stop worshipping these idols and turn to the living God yeah. who made heaven and earth and everything in them. Or in them. So um, uh, uh, in the past he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. Mm. So yeah, even if they people don't hear the gospel, they can still There's, hear, uh, yeah. see God. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what that looks like, scholars have argued about that. What does yeah. that look like? What are the implications of that if they haven't heard about God, haven't heard about Yahweh, haven't heard about Jesus? What does it mean that it says he left them without you know, evidence. I think it's very easy to go brash and go, well, they, they just should know better. But I think that's not what Paul's saying. He's trying to appeal that there is something in the heart of humans people. that wants to do the right thing. And God has created that. Yeah. I think that's really yeah. what he's talking about there. Well, in verse 17, it says, for instance, he sends you rain and yes. good crops and gives you food and joyful yes. hearts. So there's a, that's a joyful the hearts. hearts is an interesting one, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, so that sense of, um, you know, the, the, they could argue, they could argue, I'm putting myself in their shoes. I could argue, yeah, but that's my God that does that. That's not Yahweh. Mm. So I think it warrants some more wrestling. There's more going on in understanding than just giving it a simple pat answer that says, yeah, see, I think, I think there's more behind the scene. Than oh, this is, of course. We don't have time to deal with it now. Yeah. It's late at night, but I'd say it's worth digging into. I'd say it's not as oversimplistic as Christians have made it where they've gone, see, you should have known about Jesus even though you never heard about him because, you know, you get good crops. Yeah. No, I think, it's, I think oh. Paul's... Digging deeper than that. You've yeah. definitely got to be thinking a bit more yeah. um, than just the surface level. Yeah. So like Otherwise, it just Cornelius. comes across as cynical well, and judgmental. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, well, Cornelius, Cornelius had a heart. That's right. We've yeah. just read that, haven't we? Yeah. yeah. So he, he had the heart for it. So, yep. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, I do find this one still funny, even though I wouldn't want to have it done to me, is where, yeah, Jews come along and they, yeah, drag him outside crowd, and stone him. Stone him. <laughs> and, um, yeah, thinking, dragging him outside, stone him, thinking he was dead. And as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into town. 
It was like, just got up, shook just it off. Just got up, went back inside. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, probably, yeah, probably if you tried to put that in a movie, you would probably be, I don't know, limping and <laughs> yeah, bleeding yeah. and all yeah. sorts of things. So he probably uh, still was. But, yeah. you know, this is direct contrast okay. to Stephen who was stoned to death. So you can't. it's not a one-size-fits-all. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with Stephen is commended as a man of faith who gave up his life. So Paul here is been stoned and hasn't survived. Yeah. And it's not that he's got more faith. That, no. You know, you're at, back to your original question, which has more faith. It's not that he's got more faith just because one died and one didn't. Yeah. Hebrews 11 makes that very clear. Some yeah. some are sawn and martyred for their faith and they're still commended for their faith. Others yeah. see the miracle. Yeah. Um, but Paul's on his way home now. Yep, um, he's, he's just yeah. like us. We're yeah. on their way home. Yeah. <laughs> so gone back to all to the towns that he's been to where he's made many made, made disciples Strengthening the believers. So he's worked his way through and now he's revisiting those towns on his way home. Yep. Encouraging them to continue in the faith, reminding them that they must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Mark that, folks, because that's important. You know, it's not like come to Jesus and everything will be easy. He's actually going and saying, life's not going to be easy for you. Don't want you to complain about it. Suffer is part, suffering and taking up your cross is part of the Christian Mm. life. Oh, and if um, oh, I do suffer because I pray for that car spot and I don't get you it. You didn't get it. That's oh. right. You had to walk, go and move your car. And, yep. <laughs> um, so, yeah, they, yeah, Paul and Barnabas turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they put their trust. So yep. It was like they trust of God. That's awesome. And they worked their way back down to um, Antioch and they reported to the believers um which is what missionaries do. do. They, yeah. you know, you see this. They missionaries get sent out. They, they, yeah. they often have a home church that's supporting them or something, and they'll come back yeah. and give a report. This is what's happened, and that's yeah. that. That way, the donors and the the people who are praying behind the scenes can yeah. participate. Yeah. yeah, there's no email updates in this day, so they've been gone for you know a year, a year or, two. or two. Yeah, and um, this is good news. Yeah, um, and and yeah, so it was like. Yeah. Great rejoicing would be happening with that one. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Great. This is yeah. amazing because this is the first significant <coughs> Gentile mission that we're reading about. Mm. That we're reading about it. There are beliefs that Philip went into India and different places, oh, but yep. we this don't. Is recorded. We don't have these are the, these are the ones that are recorded, recorded within our Bible. But yes, yeah. this is significant for these guys. This yeah. is this is the ch- this whole Gentile Christian church thing's working. Yeah. You know, and we'll see. It's we'll see in the other in the rest of the Gospels and sorry, the rest of the Paul's writings. It, it, was messy, yeah. but it had the potential yeah. to work, yeah. which is beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, All right. Anything else you want to add there? No, no. That's that's the that's end it. of uh, Acts fourteen. Yeah, great. Uh, well, thanks for being with me, Phil. That's fun. It's been, yeah, it's been interesting. Fun. Yeah, it's I always good. like a good Bible conversation with you. Yeah, I like the way you think. Thanks uh, for your time today, no and problem. thanks everybody for uh, being with us. Yeah, catch you later. Catch you later.